are live here on Tried and True, the DC United off-season podcast presented by Heineken. Welcome back. It's been uh, over a month at this point. And um, first of all, it's great to see you guys again. Happy late Thanksgiving. And uh, what's been going on? Ah, uh, MLS playoffs being crazy. Uh, some, some a lot of rumors, a lot of fun stuff. You know, uh, mostly soccer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else has been me sitting at home. Yeah, I feel like we have to absorb all the soccer we can now that you know we experience what it's like without any soccer at all. Um, shifting gears, this is my first season really being in the EPL, um, really being invested in it, let alone having a team. So that's that's been fun. Um, Definitely needed to shift my mindset a little bit going into this morning. I woke up and I was like, all right, I got to refresh this season. Um, and Black outlined it very beautifully for us and just kept apologizing that he went into so much detail and provided so much information because it was a little bit of a sad thing to relive. Well, you know, I think we're hoping that all of our listeners can enjoy kind of going back through a season that was memorable, you know, historic in some respects. <laughs> And uh, after today, we'll be able to move forward and talk about all the exciting things coming forward in the future. But we're DC United fans, so we have to be able to, to dwell in the past to some extent. So looking forward to getting into it. Lots of lots of beer on hand for, for today's show. Uh, <laughs> as we welcome you in, John Lee joined as always, Sam Kastner, Joshua Morgan, and Michael Black. It's been so long, I forgot to introduce us. Um, <laughs> so let's talk through the what was the 2020 MLS season. Uh, it, feels like it started forever ago in in the year that was 2020 or for a couple more weeks is still 2020 i guess (laughs) um these united obviously finished 13th uh in the east with was that in the east 21 points uh from from 23 games so far fewer games than we would typically expect um less than a point per game scored 25 goals gave up 41 uh which was you know really the, the root of, of some of the concern this year but as we as we look at rewinding all the way back to, to pre-COVID land you know before the season DC United brought back fan favorite Jamil Assad um, who you know finished the end of last season here he was training with Loudon um, he took plenty of time off after his return to, to South America and so folks were really excited to see him come back uh, they added Moses Niven as a homegrown player uh, Bill Hamid was officially was it was it re-signed on the TAM deal or well they had to finalize the loan right you know because they had been alone they made it permanent uh, the machinations back and forth are complicated but the upshot is that he's here for what the next three years so yeah and, and of course the the big deal moves or as as they turned out Flores, huge DP signing, really excited, really energizing the Peruvian fan base here in D.C. Um, Kevin Paredes was signed as a homegrown player who at the time we didn't think would be, you know, just another homegrown <laughs> player. And, of course, he will talk all about Kevin. Oh, um, we will. And then Joshua, your man, Julian Gressel coming in on, on a big TAM deal. So, D.C. had locking and loading at the beginning of the season. We were feeling fairly, fairly confident. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we moved into that that first game. Um, it looked like a first game. Um, we ended up having several first games essentially throughout the season. Uh, but we were pretty excited. I remember getting ready um, to do our first show. We were all ready for a tie. Um, unfortunately, got that loss. It was a, a pretty late one. Um, but then we bounced right back and beat Miami. Right. So like we, we were feeling, I think, optimistic still we could see where the pieces could come together um, and we could see where this is a team with a lot of talent um, that could go really far and that's 
Um, you know, even taking into account the fact that we lost Paul in preseason to an ACL tear, um, which was devastating. So I think in the preseason, we were looking forward to having Paul and Gressel on our flanks, just kind of whipping balls in, um, really providing, you know, that speed and that work rate that they both bring to the table. Um, so it's unfortunate that that didn't play out, obviously, but I think we were, we were still pretty optimistic. I was at least. Yeah, there's a difference between the narratives you expect going into a year and the narratives that you get coming out of it. You know, unfortunately, I think, you know, we'll go through the injury list a little bit later, but it seems like the, the Paul injury really set more of a tone for what the makeup of this team would be over the course of the season instead of the integrating new pieces in. You know, this was a team that finished fifth in the league last year, you know, had made a huge run you know, back with Navi Field Open two years ago, and I think a lot of us were expecting a lot out of this team, and that didn't really shift until we started coming into August and uh, things went awry, but we'll, we'll get there. I think we saw a little bit of a preview in the MLS's back of like just the type of heartbreak that we were getting ready to experience. Before well, we get to MLS's back, though, I, I, I want to, you know, there's a couple things that I had written down here as we kind of prep for the show. It's just like things that really stuck out to me as, as big moments in the season. And, and obviously, listeners know big moments weren't generally good moments this year for DC United. But there was there was a one particularly good moment, and, and it was that Inter-Miami game, which was just a wild sequence. I don't know how well you guys remember exactly how that happened. Uh, but it, Miami had essentially gone up 2-0, um, and, and there was a, a VAR look. They, they brought it all the way back. It was a denial of uh, goal-scoring opportunity against Miami where they issued a red card, and then like two minutes later, DC United won a penalty kick. They equalized, and then just a few minutes after that, they got the winner, and it was an insane like 10-minute sequence in that game, and then I, I don't know if it's – just that vivid in my memory because it was the final game we got to go to in person this year at Audi Field but it that to me is something that I'll, I'll certainly never forget from the season and and we went into the coronavirus hiatus on on, on a bit of a high because that was a fun game yeah on a bit of a high and expecting it to only last a couple weeks right like we we're yeah. still talking about the away games that we were going to go to and things like that um and as it went on, you know, we all just were waiting and waiting for more information about MLS's back. Um, weren't sure if it was going to happen. There were a lot of differing opinions about whether or not it should happen. Um, but the the bubble ended up working for MLS. Um, I think the NWSL put it into play and then MLS like pretty soon afterwards. And then there were a lot of other leagues that kind of looked at what they did um, and kind of redid it, um, revamped it a little bit, obviously made a couple changes, but we're really able to implement their own seasons then. Yeah, and you can't talk about the season without talking about COVID. Obviously, that completely throws off all of the uh, issues. You know, we had several weeks of not being able to have folks training together at all. Uh, then you had kind of fits and starts getting back into, you know, figuring out what, what training can look like, whether you do it alone, whether you have to do it in groups, you know, what the testing looks like. And, you know, they put those protocols in for MLS's back. And for the most part, it came together fairly well. You had a couple of teams that had issues and weren't able to participate. But once they got into the bubble, uh, yeah, the Toronto game aside, uh, even that only got delayed 24 hours. So there, you got to give a lot of credit to the league and to the teams for finding a way to manage what was really an incredible and unbelievable challenge this year. And I don't think we can really talk about that enough. 
That's actually another one that I had written down, particularly was that Toronto game for a couple of reasons. And, and one was, you know, it was the first game that was, you know, we came back and it was, I think it was a Sunday it was supposed to be. Yep. And you're kind of getting ready for like a midday or because that was not the super early crazy kickoff. Well, it was like a Friday and then got moved to Sunday. Yeah, didn't That's it get right. moved twice? Yeah. And then got moved again. Yeah. And then it got moved to Monday. Because I think uh, Toronto couldn't get in the bubble. Right, like they they delayed their flight because weren't they like super against the tournament to begin with? They like really didn't want to play, so they kind of delayed even getting to the bubble, and that was the first shift. Um, and then it got yeah. postponed again. And, and obviously I, that I mean, again. You, oh, go ahead, Sam. Sorry, obviously that again was after DC United showed up to warm ups. Toronto also showed up. I'd like to point out, um, DC United was warming up. We were all getting ready, and then. Um, the, the game was postponed again, which was very frustrating, and moved to a Monday. Game yeah. well, though. Well, and I think one of the most important things to talk about before before we get into how that game went was the acquisition of Pippa Uyain, uh for and, and it really kind of came to fruition like right during the start of, of the hiatus because he was able to, to tra- uh, you know to train with the team for for most of the time, you know, once, once they got approvals to start, start practicing again. Um, but he didn't start and, and, and folks were kind of clamoring a little bit and it was, it was the 9am kickoff. That's what I was just looking at. So when it finally got played, it was a weird time, 9am on a Monday. I remember, I think Joshua, you were, you were actually at work at the time. Yeah. And then the, and Michael and Sam and I were able to, to do a, a, a hectic show after that <laughs> game because, uh, well, it was wild. It was, Adrenaline was high. Yeah. <laughs> You know, man sent I was it junior, I think, was sent off like right before halftime. Oh and my god. Yes. It's like you gotta kid me, man. Like <laughs> um, but craziness in the second half and, and again we thought DC United, like, okay, they they've got you know, they got this fight in them, right? Yeah. We're able to come back and then you shift into to New England. Um, we tie that game again. Um and then you go into Montreal, um, and we I think a win would have absolutely sent us through. If I remember correctly, a tie potentially would have sent us through because um, the bracket had those, like, there were, like, three or four spots for third-place teams. Um, So it kind of depended upon everyone else. We were one of the first groups to finish out. But I think a tie would have ended up sending us through um, had that been the only game that the results changed for. But um, And remarkable how similar to the season MLS is back into being. We got a kind of crazy result against Toronto. If we had found a way to get past New England one of the dozen times we played them this year, or just, you know, beat Montreal with all the chips on the line, you're through. Uh, In a way, we could have just stopped the season and MLS is back, but thank goodness (laughs) we didn't. No, we needed to go through a lot more first. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a devastating loss for sure um, in, in that Montreal game. And I, and I remember that one pretty clearly too of late start. We didn't get the show underway until almost midnight, if, yeah. if not later, if I recall correctly, I, I can't remember if that was an 11 PM kickoff or, or something wild. Yeah. Um, but it was a, some, some good calls on the call in line that night. And, uh, and, and just a, uh, general frustration but but still optimism of you know there's there's a chunk of the season still left to be played and 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 you know what could come next for dc united and yeah because at that point we knew that we were coming back we think but you know you never knew like if it's going to be in home markets if it's going to be another mini tournament like they hadn't announced the schedule it would take another you know month or so to 
get more clarity there. So definitely glad to have Saka where we could get it. Joshua, you've been markedly silent up until this point. How were you feeling kind of at that at that point of the season? We were we got the MLS's back craziness out of the way, which we talked about how legitimate or not that was, you know, back during that time. But where was your optimism meter at? <laughs> I think I started pretty high on the season. I was very high on Ola, as you guys have reminded me 47 times. Uh, and I, I was really excited <laughs> about that. Like, goal he was supposed to score. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was, he was a leading goal scorer for DC United. Um, I was really excited for the Gressel acquisition. And then we we saw the same scrappy, just like play from behind defense kind of mentality. Uh, and we were kind of frustrated with it still. Like I, I wasn't very high on the Miami win. They were brand new team uh and then we we just like failed to get it to get it done in, in these games i don't know uh this is not my favorite part of the season uh, obviously because it it sets up a very long stretch for dcu yeah it sure does and hey, i'm trying to find here because there were some some mid-season acquisitions that the dc united made and i i gotta say the dc united website's a little bit out of date on transactions, uh, so I'm scrambling to try to find. It looks like MLS has a, a good. Here we go. Uh, so, so players in. It wasn't too long after MLS is back when we we brought some folks in, but it looks like we actually did. We play a couple games before Axel Schoberg yeah, yeah. tore onto the scene with these. <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, so it looks like August 21st was when when they came back, and it was just a, just a bit before that Schoberg was was traded for but we didn't see him until a couple days later um we tied cincinnati out of the gate which i think was a gut punch for a lot of us who were somewhat optimistic of like you can't go to cincinnati and get, and, and get three points um but we had the revenge game against new england which they lost um <laughs> and and then the wheels really came out or came off rather against philly that was i think showberg's debut we got smashed we did a live show at, at, at with our friends at Across the Pond, which was a good time, and that was the only good part because I think at that point, to me, we knew the season was in, in dire shape. Did Boateng get a ring for being with Columbus? He was. He, he finished was, the season with them, didn't he? He was holding the trophy last night. I don't know MLS yeah. rules, and I know leagues across the world have weird rules, like you got to make so many appearances and stuff. But he he was definitely holding MLS Cup last night. Yeah, he had minutes. Uh, but he got minutes during the season and maybe during the playoffs, but I, I don't don't think during during the actual cup final. Yeah, so he, he went in that trade yeah. with Schoberg and good lord. One would think Columbus got the better end of that deal. <laughs> well, so after uh, go ahead. No, no, no. We'll, we'll get we'll talk to you about personnel more in depth later, but you know, Schoberg ended up being a guy who was getting passed over for guys playing out of position by the end of the season yeah you're, you're clearly right that that did not work out the way we wanted it to yeah and, and i think with that philly game in particular a lot of us were able to kind of circle it and say like all right we had a number of injuries schoberg was pressed into action there it was ugly philly's one of the best teams in the league i don't know that any of the four of us were were yet calling for olsen's head at that point i think we were still like all right this was a really tough tough game you don't want to get beat that bad but you know we'll see what happens and what happened after that was the the sorga last second winner uh in new jersey which was a lot of fun uh, sort of felt like hey maybe we're getting back on track and then they turned around and had no shots at home against nycfc which was 
quite possibly one of the more miserable games. We did get a point out of that game. That was a 0-0 draw, right? Yeah, it was. And I think that was the point um, in the post-game press conferences. Um, I think there I mean, there have been people calling for Ben's head for years, right? Um, he's had, had a pretty long tenure here. Um, I think Philly was, was a little bit of a turning point for the fan base. And then, um, yeah, after New York was when yeah. um, I think we all shifted a, lot of a little bit. Yeah, because just the, the way that he was communicating his feelings about these games, um, he, he wasn't as upset with the results and he didn't feel as great a need for there to be change um, as, as a lot of us did uh, watching the games. And I think that is, is worth noting that around this time was really when um, the writing was becoming a little bit more clear. And, and this is the beginning of the squad experimentation, I think, right? We, we start to see a little bit more Paredes and Yao, which were, were all great things. Um, results weren't there, but we were, <laughs> we were mining for gold nuggets uh, <laughs> at this point of the season. Yeah, and you're right. You know, it's definitely a time where you saw a lot more experimentation from Ben than you were used to seeing. You know, we've always been clamoring for years for us to, to play the kids, see what we got. You know, and frankly, they overperformed to some extent. But you know, we can't give too much credit to the fact that there were only certain number of people available to fill out the roster. Uh, I think if we had shown up wearing the appropriate gear, we might have wound up the 18 or 21 or whatever it was. Some of those uh come august september uh so you know part of necessity part of you know trying to mix things up uh either way we weren't getting the results we needed to get where we needed to be soon yeah and I'm, I'm doing a little correlation here again to see when some, some other transfers because because reinforcements did come in um Helman Rivas uh, came over to the squad right around this time period. So it looked like he could have played um, in, in one of those games. It was, it was right at the end of October. Um, and then, of course, the, the New York City FC game was uh, Labor Day weekend. So right around then, uh, Helman Rivas came into the side. And then, of course, Jordi Reyna was not too long after. That was on the 19th of September. And Joshua, I think you in particular – when when the Rivas transfer came in, it was just like frustrating in in the sense of like, are we what are we trying to do here at this point in the season with where we were in the table? It didn't seem like it was going to be a season saving transfer, and and I think looking back at it, it, it certainly wasn't. Uh, it wasn't terrible, and yeah, you're right. We were wondering what was going on, what what kind of moves this because it was clear that the squad needed some big changes. They just weren't creating anything. Uh, and when they were creating, they weren't finishing. Uh, Hellman, I don't know. <laughs> we we can do the reflections at the end, but it was it was a little bit shocking to find that DC United was once again finding a player out of contract from a foreign league that didn't have a great goal history recently. Um, but yeah, it seemed like patchwork from not just the the you know transfer side, but also like the tactics and, and you know the youth movement. It was. Yeah. Yeah, and things didn't get better. Oh, good. Like, no, I definitely felt like the kind of move we've seen several times, where it's just grabbing the best available player you can get for basically no money. Um, you know, and that's something that we thrived on. Sometimes there's something it's something that we needed. Like you said, we weren't a team that was creating chances, but weren't creating goals. Um, it just didn't really come off, and especially in a year where you've got limited resources and looking at very little revenue coming in. Uh, 
um, I think we can look back on it and say, could we have tried to you know go with the guys we had? Uh, I think at the time we certainly were thinking, hey, we're in the playoff picture. All we need is a win or two, and we're right back in it. So you can't fault the team for trying, but uh, it, it was a mess. Yeah, and, and to me, I think this was really the time where we saw, you know, rumors started to come out a little bit about there were plans to bring in other players at the beginning of the season. They were put on hold, but they were probably going to make some decent-sized transfers, like, in the summer. And, Black, like you said, you can't talk about the season without talking about COVID. COVID-19 pretty much killed any any likelihood of a, a splash of cash for, for this team. Um, it just it wasn't going to happen. And I think that's maybe why we saw the moves that we saw. And, and hopefully, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, we're hiring a new coach. And <laughs> we're going to need to do some things to bring in some new players. So hopefully we'll have the opportunity in this offseason to, well, to bring in some more big and, and to be fair, to use the turn of phrase that Joshua used, uh, there was not a player out there I think that would have single-handedly turned the team around and said, okay, now, you know, this is a team that is in good shape. We were not a player away. The problems were much farther than that. And you didn't see a lot of big moves from other teams. I think probably the biggest move you saw was Iguain going down to Miami. Uh, but aside from that, there weren't a huge, a lot of huge blockbuster transfers within MLS that you could really say, Hey, that, that changed the team or that changed the way things were going. Yeah, and, and so after after the NYCFC game, um, Red Bulls came to town, got a win. We were able to eke out a, a, a draw against Toronto, which was one that I had circled here. That was the Griffin-Yao-Golato um, at, oh, yeah. at the very end of the game to, to pull out the equalizer. So that was a lot of fun, and and, and that was one of the things with this season. When when the team won or when they got, they got a result, they were fun to watch for the most part, except for maybe that, that – um, NYCFC game, but after Toronto, man, four straight losses, Nashville, New England, Atlanta, and, and New York City, and the Atlanta and New York City games were yeah. particularly ugly. Um, <laughs> that's blowouts, a- basically. And after the New York City game away on October 8th, that's when uh, Coach Benelson was fired. Um, and, and I think we, at that point, I don't know, it, was, it, it felt, I think my stance on the show was like, boy, we waited too long for this. You know, I, I, we'll see what what happens I, I thought at that point they had made up their mind that they were going to let him ride out the season and we'd make a change at the end of the season but which yeah I mean especially looking back um and I think we said this like you said at the time um and kind of every game going in um we, we had very little chances of making the playoffs at that point and those steadily increased to the point where it was a decision day I mean we lost it by one goal and I'm not one to say that like everything culminates in that day right because obviously there are little things any result throughout the entire season that had changed right like the last day wouldn't have meant as much but you kind of have to think right like what if a couple games beforehand is when that decision had been made because obviously Chad needs a little bit of time Um, he's the assistant coach gets brought in as interim head coach he obviously needed a little bit of time to implement things and try to turn it around and that's ultimately what he was able to do um so I think I think it's still John you're right a little bit curious that they did wait so long to make that change um and they didn't just wait until the end of the season like I I wonder what those conversations were you know behind closed doors and what the the final you know thing that pushed them over the edge to ultimately make that decision when they did was yeah a lot of times you make changes in the middle of the season to try to 
energize the squad and, and bump the results in it. And as Sam mentioned later, it, it kind of did, or yeah, later in the season it, it, it does. Um, but it's such a weird situation with Ben and his legacy with the team. He's been here for 20 years. Um, he's still has a spot on in the front office, uh, supposedly, but there's been interest from other MLS teams allegedly uh, in his services. I'm sure we'll hit on that one later. Um, <laughs> it is surprising and you know after 20 years to, to fire him in the middle of the season um and then especially so late in the season not even the middle of the season like the final third of this already shortened crazy year yeah it just goes to show that maybe maybe that wasn't something they thought about but it, it just got so bad so quickly that, that they felt it needed to be done um Ben is a legend with this club. We can't talk about this without, you know, hitting on that. Uh, he will always well, be a legend with this club. And, yeah, and you can feel the frustration coming from Ben, you know, in the press conferences. Like we said, we, he had tried several different approaches. Uh, and things were just not coming together. And, you know, he was a guy who had pulled a, you know, rabbit out of his hat several times over a number of years. Like, there was a possibility he could have been fired back in 2013 after a bad year. <laughs> 2017, you know, similar situation. Um, you know, and I think he got a, a blank slate, uh, more or less, when he came into Audi Field with you know, with new things, new uh, new roster flexibility, new, new spending guidelines. Uh, but I think all of us, when it finally happened, none of us were saying, no, 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 this is a terrible thing. You know, I think it, it's sad, it's unfortunate, we, we, we hate to see him go, but it, it, it was time. Yeah, and now that we're on this collective Fennelson tangent, um, I'm just going to add to you that I think that um, he, he was never given what he was promised, maybe. Like, he, he always had to kind of figure it out. Um, it never felt like he was fully able to maybe make the moves that he wanted, um, just looking back to, like, days in RFK. Um, they, you know, kept saying, we're not going to spend a lot of money on players until we have this new stadium. The new stadium's our priority, which, you know, that was kind of, okay, well, Ben's not getting, you know, the fancy expensive players. Obviously, we did, you know, we brought in Paul and um, Russell at that time. We did make signings, but that was kind of that. And then at Audi Field, you know, we got Wayne and then he left and we were like, oh, that was unfortunate. And then it's like, oh, COVID, obviously we're not signing. So, Obviously, as a coach, you just kind of have to make the most with what you have. And ultimately, um, the team decided that he he wasn't able to do that. But, uh, you know, there is something to be said, as Joshua mentioned, you know, if he does go sign with another team in MLS, it'll be interesting to see kind of what how what team that is and then how that team is run. And then, you know, what influence he's able to have there, because he'll probably have, I mean, he'll definitely have like varying resources and varying ability to have a say in who they're signing and things of that nature. I'm not usually one to say that you make a change just to make a change. Uh, but I think you saw down the stretch this year, you know, it certainly wasn't a, a quick trigger on uh, saying it was the end of the Ben Olsen era. You know, yeah. but the way you saw the team respond in the last six or seven games playing a different, more attractive style, scoring goals, going upfield. Uh, and part of that, too, was nothing left to lose. You know, you've got an interim coach. you got players who are playing for their spots. They're, you know, what's the difference if you lose, you know, 4-2 or, you know, 2-0? You know, it's uh, you know, definitely a different kind of challenge. Ben wanted to win every game 1-0. Uh, so I think having a shift in how you approach games and how they tried to carry it out you can see that during down the stretch. I don't know if that 
will end up being enough to give Chad the job permanently, but we'll cover the coaching a little bit more in depth a little bit later. Yeah, and, and I think hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, one of the quotes that stuck out to me just before Olson was fired, but you know, when rumors were really starting to fly, I think it was Stephen Goff that that wrote it. You know, the team executive have told him like there weren't any imminent plans to fire Olson unless the results get really embarrassing. <laughs> and I think the reality is the results were embarrassing. Two games yeah. in a row between Atlanta at home. This is a, I'll say a historically bad season for Atlanta United not that many to look at but it was not a preseason <laughs> for them they were a, 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 an equal to dc united at best this year in terms of form and, and the way they were playing and then you know going to new york city nycfc is a better team than dc united but they just got smashed in both of those games and i think that was ultimately what did it and hindsight being 2020 yeah they played better afterwards and, and I, I don't mean that as an indictment on on been entirely right but i think it it shook things up it, it unlocked a lot of players like you were saying it they, they started attacking more and i think it became a really good audition for 2021 for a lot of these guys of like who should we keep who should we get rid of we'll obviously get into you know our thoughts on that in the next um down the stretch you know close loss to chicago and, and, a, and a draw against a good philly team at home to start the ashton era and then three straight wins against Cincy, Atlanta, and Columbus to put DC United right back in the playoff hunt. I mean, we had a decision day this year where, you know, DC United needed a win and, and a couple other results. Actually, I think a win and they were in, right? No, and, they needed results, but those results. Those every happened. one of them went right? our way. Yeah, everything yeah, that needed to happen for, happened. For DC United. Except but, for, yeah, the to, three goals at home. Yeah, and, and I mean, Sam, you, you said at the beginning, you were like, you know, I was optimistic at the beginning of the season. Sam was optimistic the whole season. We like, always had more than 1% <laughs> or more than zero. We always had more than zero. And we were able to climb, right. up, climb our way back up. The the three the three guys on the show were saying, look, we're out. It's over. It's over. It's over. And Sam's telling us, we still got a shot. We still got a it shot. It was so and close. Lo and behold, Ashton comes in and, and we got to a decision day where this dumpster fire of a season, DC United, could have got in the playoffs and they were so a close decision day not even like 15 minutes right like i'm pretty sure yeah, montreal no. got those two within the last 15 20 minutes which was heartbreak obviously um i probably took that a little harder than you all did because of my mentality <laughs> i was so convinced that fate was on our side and we were gonna make it through <laughs> I fix my lighting here mid-show as the sun goes down. Outside. Oh, I just thought you were showing off your well, "It's in the net" shirt. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> well, and it's worth noting that in any other year, the situation we were in, we would not have been sniffing the playoffs. You know, the fact that they expanded the playoffs from the 17s to 10—that's you know, the rules of the competition. You know, you were in a position to potentially make it. So you certainly deserve all the uh, heartache for being in the situation and, and not carrying it off. But, and any other year, given the situation we were in, it would not have been that interesting on the decision there. So That's whether true. that means we should expand in the future, certainly Honestly, go Honestly, also, I don't know that I would have survived playoffs had DC United been in it because they were wild. I'm sure even if you didn't watch them, I'm sure if you're um, following people on, you know, the soccer American soccer community on Twitter, you saw what some of those results were and some of the crazy things to happen. Um, and I probably would not have lived to be here today because my brain would have just exploded <laughs> had I needed to be an actual fan watching that. Yeah, I, I think the only other storyline I, I really want to touch on about this season 
and, and, a, and a big reason that DC United was in the predicament they ran was just the injury bug that devastated this team. You know, we talked about Paul Ariola tearing his ACL in the preseason, and, and I, I remember I probably took that as hard as Sam took the loss on the last day of the season because there was just a big part of me that knew that, you know, Paul is the heart and soul of this team, and it's going to be so hard to to, yeah. to replicate that. And, and you know, especially with the budget crunch that that's reality for DC United and, and the way rosters are constructed in MLS, when one of your big-time players gets hurt, it's really hard to – to come back from that unless you're willing to, to come in and, and, and fill another DP slot or, or they could have shelved him, I think, and, and opened up his DP slot or some kind of craziness there. Um, but they didn't, and, and they didn't do that. And it ended up being probably the right move because of everything that happened with COVID. But Paul was far from the only injury that this team suffered this year. It wasn't even the only ACL injury. Uh, <laughs> you know, Felipe made it through a, a good part of the year, but he tore his ACL. And he was um, doing pretty pretty well for us, too. I think that that was a, a hard hit that we took in the middle of the field. Well, yeah. And remember, we didn't have Paul under – I think Paul was on either an expiring contract or one year left in the contract. Yeah. You know, coming quickly to the end of his potential time here, you know, the team made moves and extended him. I think we're all happy to see that and look forward yeah. to seeing it moving forward. But, you know, we were expecting a lot out of him coming in for a contract year, and – not being able to get out there on the field uh, except for a few bright moments on that, that season finale you know, really did change what we were expecting out of here. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you guys know Paul's one of my favorites. So I'm so happy that he's healthy. He's looking look great the other night in the men's national team game. We'll talk about that. Um, but throughout the season, there were just so many other players that were constantly banged up and were missing games here and there and, and, and weren't a hundred percent. I think Burnbaum is one who kind of dealt with injuries throughout the season. Foot injury ultimately kind of did him in at the end of the season. Um, Abu was, had a terrible knee injury. Um, and it was a player who I thought stepped up pretty well at the end of the season. Um, Segura was dealing with calf injuries. Flores had his face smashed in and missed some time and, and came back playing a lot better afterwards, which was awesome. Um, Red Ace missed some games. Kamara missed some games. Chris Piaccia missed some games. Joseph Mora missed some games. They couldn't stay healthy this season. And, and that was absolutely a, a big part of, of, of the issues they had, not only because they were missing talent, but because they couldn't have a consistent 11 on the field at any point in time. And, and even when they had a somewhat healthy lineup, I don't think we could pick our best 11 that was a, a common theme throughout shows you know this season was like who should be out there but when you start to get close to a, a, a some sort of chemistry between players on the field it, it just felt like somebody would then get hurt and, and we'd be back at square one yeah i think kind of remarkably all those injuries occurred outside the context of covid you know there were a couple of players who yep. missed some extended time because of covid and, you know that's something that i think every team had to face at some level but there was never a situation where we said, oh, we don't have a goalkeeper because all of our goalkeepers are out and we have to get a replacement pool player or we're not going to play with a forward today because we don't have any. Which, considering how thin we were uh, at some point in the season, it would have been a real possibility had a couple of guys gone out. So, again, credit to the guys for taking it seriously and making sure that they were available to be out there and do the best we could. For sure. Uh before we send it to break, Joshua, Sam, any last-minute thoughts on on the year that was, or, or should we should we start breaking down this roster? <laughs> we should leave the 2020 season in the past as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that too. 
All right, let's throw it to break. When we come back, we'll talk about our picks for man of the season. And then, of course, we'll talk through uh, the roster decisions that DC United made and the decisions that we think they should make going forward right here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than two minutes. Can't listen to us live on YouTube? Find Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, or Pocket Casts the morning after the match. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than 90 seconds. Hey, thanks for listening live. If you want to join the conversation, let us know what you think in real time using the chat on YouTube Live, on Twitter using the hashtag TriedAndTrueDCU, or text us at 202-892-6328. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than 60 seconds. Let us know what you think between games on Twitter at hashtag TriedAndTrueDCU or email us at TriedAndTrueDCU at gmail.com. Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. We'll be back in less than 30 seconds. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, go ahead and give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Tried and True DCU. Again, that's Instagram or Twitter at Tried and True DCU. Welcome back to Tried and True, the DC United Post Game Podcast presented by Heineken. And we just relived somehow the 2020 DC United MLS season. But now is the time to really sum it up and, and, and give our pick for man of the season. Now, guys, I'll ask you, do we want to – we can do this one of two ways. We can go through the roster first and we can talk about, you know, players who are still on the team for next season, the deals that DC United have exercised, kind of the moves we would like to see them make. And we can close with that. Or if you guys are ready to go ahead and grant your 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 man of the season, we can do that first. What would y'all prefer? I feel like let's award man of the season, tie tie a nice little bow around twenty twenty, and then completely shift to the future. Ooh, so we can cut our man of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, I think we should you know talk about the high points because I think you know going through this roster, you know there are certain decisions to be made. You know let's. Let's give some praise on the team. We've had to talk about some tough stuff. Let's let's have some happy times. Be positive. All right, all right let's do first. it. So, when it comes to the the golden boot, we joked all season uh, about you know who that was going to be, and for a Fred. long time that was that was center backs, baby. Um, <laughs> Federic Briant was was leading the pack for a while, but it did end up being Ola Kamara who who won the team's golden boot with 
four goals on the season. Um, and Edison Flores had the most assists. That was a tie with Julian Gressel with, with three. Um, and then, of course, saves was was Bill Hamid with 55 on the season. And it's still a pretty decent year for Hamid. So um, who wants to go first, then, awarding your, your man of the season? I'm ready. Go I'll go first. It. Joshua. Uh, I, I'm not going to tease or anything. I think the man of the season for me is is Donovan Pines. He had such a huge year uh, throughout the sh- the shows that we did, the season or the season of games that we covered. I think we said he was man of the match. At least he was referenced at least half the time. He was not a, every game started for this team this year. Uh, he was hardly playing last year, but that's such a big step for him. Uh, I think there's a couple of defensive things that he could tighten the screws on. Um, but just like last year, he's such a raw talent that we can see it happening. And then, like you mentioned, the, the goals from center backs, he, he is co-silver boot for the team uh, <laughs> with, with three goals, uh, three big goals for us. And we're so excited for him there. Uh, I'm really, really pumped to see what he does next year. I think that's such Post a good shout. silver boot. I like it. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I think that's a really good shout. You're right. So excited to see, you know, a goal finally on the score sheet and sticking for him. Um, and I think something we didn't touch on, but um, Donovan Pines, Donovan Pines, among others, really um, benefited off of is the fact that the be, we assume because of COVID, there wasn't the ability for DC United to send players to Loudoun and vice versa. So I think that there are a lot of players who got minutes with DC United or at least, you know, experience on the bench in games that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and for Pines, I think that that would have been him. I think he would have been sent to Loudoun sometimes. Um, I think obviously he would have been on the bench with DC United too, but he might've seen um, a little bit less experience with the first team. And I think, he really took the opportunity and like ran with it. Um, he really made the most of it. Yeah. And he's 22. So he, he's just like, he's coming out. It would be just like if he's coming out of the super draft, uh, but he decided to leave Maryland early to come to DCU. Uh, I, I think the potential is there. Uh, and you know, he, he's shown a lot more for us than, than Birnbaum was at that age because we hadn't drafted Birnbaum yet. Um, so I, I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, building off this, this such such a good year. And one of our favorite interviews in the year, I think his coronavirus show when he was watching a movie and then, you know, spending some time with us, he's always very open. So. He was the most punctual player, I think. Yes. My man showed up early. before we went live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he was in the Zoom call before all four of us were. Yeah. We were like, oh, <laughs> and very much looking forward to celebrating his next uh, massive heading goal, you know, in person so we can enjoy that with him i was so glad to see him actually have that happen for him uh and not get taken away through a referee error yeah absolutely sam you want to go next i mean sure i think you all can guess it mostly because i think you wouldn't let me get away with not saying that my man i got, I got money on it so you better yeah get it exactly right. <laughs> um I think I could give a lot of other people shouts, but just looking back, you know, the person I rewarded man of the match throughout the season most was Kevin Paredes. So I feel like that all has to kind of culminate in me giving him man of the season. Um, I don't know that he was, I mean, I don't believe that he was the best player on the field necessarily every time he was on the field, but I do think that, um, as I just mentioned for Pines, he was able to rise to the challenge. Um, And like, I think Black mentioned earlier in the show, he overperformed 
a lot for this team. Um, he really was able to rise to it. He was an- another great interview we had. Um, he, you know, took part in our FIFA um, tournament that we had. Um, these aren't all things going into making him man of the season, but I think like they inform me about his mentality. Um, and he has just such a great personality, great mentality. And you can tell at such a young age, he's so hungry to be a part of this team and to really perform. Um, and not just to like professionally play soccer, which I'm sure is a dream of his, but specifically to do it for DC United. I think he promised us an MLS cup at some point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I, I think that he, you know, me saying, that he's my man of the season is like mostly about what he was able to do for us this season, but a little bit about how he just got better and better. And I see that projecting into next season. Um, So perhaps a little bit of a cop out, but again, I don't think you guys would have let me say anyone else and I'll stand behind it. So Kevin was absolutely one of the shiniest bright spots (laughs) in what was a largely very dull 2020 (laughs) DC United season. In my mind, it was just so fun to watch him. He played with so much joy, Uh, but he also, he, he, he wasn't a little boy out there, man. There was, there were some times when he was getting, he he would go in hard on, on some tackles with, with some, some, some pros who'd been in this league for, for a long time. And he really held his own out there. And I think, I think this guy's the limit for Kevin. I'm I'm so excited to see what's next for him, not only with DC United, but you know, hopefully with you know the youth national teams and and, and working his way up for the Stars and Stripes Ooh. as well. Yeah, yeah. and I speaking think... of that, I, I got to drop the bomb. I'm pretty sure he was called into this last camp, but was removed before the announcement from injury. So so big year for Kevin. Why? Oh. What makes you say that? I, I saw it going around the Twitterverse from from some pretty reliable people. But yeah, it's huge. He went from homegrown contract signed this year to 17 appearances. That's nothing to scoff at, and that's more than just an emotional pick. Uh, it's huge contribution from someone who literally wasn't on the roster. Yeah, 14 appearances and, like, a lot of starts, right? It wasn't just appearances, like, five minutes at the end of the game to get him a little bit of that experience. He really made an impact um, for this team. Yeah, I'm showing 17 appearances and nine starts over here and he's definitely in the top 10 for for minutes played this year for dc united well and he's a guy that you know coming into next year you know is really going to be pushing guys who are on much higher contract numbers ahead of him you know he's going to be pushing them for minutes that was the impact he had on the season you know coming in as a relative unknown and down the stretch you know a lot of people were calling for him to be you know one of those guys that we were leaning on uh you know you knew yao had you know this possibility you Diamond to you know, crack in at some point, but Paredes was really the, the story from the, the homegrown guys, and you know, happy to see it. Yeah, and I think he's getting a lot of recognition throughout the league too, and that's only going to improve. I don't think he was named to twenty two hundred twenty two. Was he? One of our kids Moses, was like Moses is grossly the only left out. Was, yeah, yeah, it was Kevin. Then I just remember being really mad when that list came out. Um, obviously Moses deserved it. I thought Kevin did too, but I mean he. Um, Kevin got an interview with the Cooligans, right? Like he's been mentioned on other podcasts. Um, I think that's also a really big thing for DC United to have a lot of hype around really young players. Um, I think that'll kind of get the team more looks, more recognition from across the country. Um, and then even, you know, just within the DMV, I think that'll kind of show kids that if they can do it in the academy, they, they can maybe do it for the first team because Kevin all the time, you know, in all of his interviews kind of points to the academy and the experience and how that enabled him to really push into the first team. Um, so I think really just a lot of what he, he represents for the team also um, is very promising. 
All right. <laughs> I think we're gushing enough. Sorry, I was having, yeah. I was having a little lag on my end there. I said oh, sorry. Um, Mr. Black, let's throw it to you. So I've got no issue with uh, saying Paredes or, or uh, Pines as players of the year. They you know, had such a huge impact on the season. And in a year where there wasn't a clear cut you know, impact player who was putting up tons of goals or you know, really carrying the team, uh, I think you can kind of have to start looking towards some of those role players or guys who are you know, performing above what they were expected. Uh, but for me, thinking back on the season, you know, there were so many times that we looked at games and said, hey, you know, we need a guy who can step up, who can you know, put this team on his back, who's going to really animate either through his play or by talking to guys around him and really just drag his team up to the level they need to be at to compete. And I know that we had him in the doghouse several times over the course of the season, but I think you know, especially coming in those last couple of games, uh, Yamil Assad was really that guy who uh, was kind of the heart of the team uh, down the stretch. You know, these guy who ended up with three goals tied for with Pines for the silver boot, if you will, uh, <laughs> two of those on PKs. But, you know, also being a guy who walks up there and says, give me the ball, I'm going to put it in the back of the net. And, you know, thinking back to some of the memorable plays on the field, you know, it always seemed like Yamil was involved either making the pass or by taking guys on and going upfield with it. Um, so by the end of the year, you know, for a team that you know, got more exciting, more fun to watch, uh, that really came about with Yamil having that resurgence. And you heard some of that frustration from him back in September was saying, hey, we're not attacking. We're not you know, going forward scoring goals. Oh, I remember that. I want, to have fun play- <laughs> yeah, I want to have fun playing soccer. Yeah. Uh, and then down the stretch, you know, he was available to media talking about how you know, the change of mentality. And the results got better when Yamil got better. Uh, so I think all those things kind of combined to make me think, you know, Yamil was really the guy that we look at as kind of defining the season. Uh, so that's it for me. Yeah. yeah, there's nobody who spent more time in my doghouse this year. You, you said it, Black, than, than Jamil Assad. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy with how he was playing at the end of the year. You know, and, and I think, to me, that rolls into next season – the, the expectations are high, right? Like, you know, we, we, we shook off the rust. He didn't play this guy that didn't get to play for a long time because of the, the drama with his home club back in, in South America. Yeah. Um, but he really did put it together. And you're right. At, at the end of the season, he was the guy who you really was making plays and you could count on. There is one player who played in all 23 games this season. I would not have guessed that that was Jamil Assad, but that was, in fact, Jamil Assad. Wow. He's the only player on this team who played in all 23 games this season. He's definitely, he started uh, 18 of them, so he made some sub appearances, and he was fifth in, in terms of minutes overall. But he's the only guy in the black and red who managed to play in every game this year, which, which in a lot of ways probably meant he avoided the injury bug. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he definitely had an impact this season. Yeah, Black, that's a good shout, and I'm glad you brought up that uh, infamous – um, press conference that he gave because um, something we didn't mention about kind of Ben's time with DC United um, is that we saw the locker room slipping a little bit and when I say that I specifically think about that press conference right yeah. um, but I think that Emil is uh, definitely one of the ones who benefited the most from the coaching change um, he was really kind of able to come into his own and excel um, and you're right I think that that is very promising for next year I guess this means I have to go now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what you got, John? Well, it, 
so so I did not show up with the answer to this question today, which is poor planning on my part. And I, I, I wanted you guys to go first thinking I would really like, yes, yes, I'm going to pick that person. But I, I think you guys had great shouts, but I, I've also been nerding out here while you all were talking and, and, and just kind of getting into the nitty gritty of, of the stats to try to understand, like, this was an ugly season, but, you know, who – who out there kept it from being even worse, you know, and then who, who made a difference. And, you know, he, he had, this guy had quite possibly one of the, the dumbest moments of the season. And yet I think it caused him to miss the only games he missed all season. He was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, just a workhorse out there for, for a large percentage of the year. Uh, and, and I'll give it to Junior Moreno, who who actually put in the, the most minutes for DC United this year. So he was out on the field for, for a long stretch of time. He was paired with spin the wheel of who was going to be alongside him in defensive midfield this year, uh, whether it was Felipe or Canals or Nyman. And he, he, he just kept going. And I think Junior Moreno was, was a bright spot on this team and, and, definitely a workhorse another appreciated workhorse in in what was an ugly season for me it was it was tough between him and 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 Briant for me uh, who I will give a shout who had a a pretty solid year um but I think to me Junior deserves a, a lot of credit for being one of the under unsung heroes of this team yeah I don't have a problem with you know recognizing Junior because he's a guy who does seem to fly into the radar quite a bit you know you, you never disappointed to see him on the team sheet when you pull it up an hour before a game. Um, and frankly, you don't see him making a, a huge impact going forward, you know, scoring flashy goals. Or he's also not getting himself sent off or, you know, accumulating excessive numbers of yellow cards. You know, some of that comes from the position, but having a guy who's kind of a mainstay you know, right there doing what you need him to do, uh, for a, a team that was as up and down as DC United this year, being able to, to lean on him, uh, you know, I think it's a good shot. I, I like the, the Brigant idea as well. I think for me, there were a couple of instances where there were defensive breakdowns and they cost us, uh, whether that was on Brigant or on the other guys. Uh, you struggle when you know, you're not scoring enough goals to overcome uh, momentary boneheaded plays, but uh, he was definitely a leader on this team as well. Yeah, I think you know that it wasn't a successful season when you're we're, we're picking a number of defensive players as potentially uh, players of the season. Yet it was a year where we shipped what we say forty six goals. Uh, so <laughs> that was twenty twenty for for DC United. But the team recently had to make. Uh, or actually, do we want to do these other these other awards in here, guys? Rookie of the year, comeback player. I think it's. I mean- I'll tell you, it's pretty unanimous. I guess it can't be unanimous for me. It's only my vote. I have clear answers for both of these <laughs> questions. Uh, I mean, what are your answers? I don't know if I gave those as much thought, but maybe I can agree or disagree with you. So, yeah, all right. So, rookie of the year for me is Kevin Paredes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously. Sam, I'm going to assume that's obviously. <laughs> I'm not going to say he was my man of the season, but there was a different rookie who came in above him. Yeah. C- comeback player of the year is tough right because or, or who, who would even be eligible for this? i was just about to no, say what are like the technical rules is bill for technically there? eligible for that i'm just messing around <laughs> <laughs> yeah. probably i mean in mls probably he was not on the team i mean who knows what the injury was so, yeah, it could have been you know very severe but yeah 
no, no, no. I'm talking about how he wasn't officially a DC United player for like three days while they reworked his loan deal. <laughs> so you hey, I'll tell you what, I, I'll give my comeback player of the year to Paul. You know, a guy who oh. starts the season off by having a, a knee injury that, uh, again, at some points in history would have been career ending. But for him to put the work in, uh, if you guys haven't watched the documentary about you know, his journey, you should absolutely do that. That is. Uh, just a real window into who he is and the work he's putting in for this team and for the national team. And to see him step back out in the field and not just say, oh, look, I'm back, uh, but to actually be frustrated when you know, a couple of shots don't quite do what he needs it to do. And uh, You heard him after the, the final game there saying, yeah, it was great that I came back, but you know, we needed this win and we didn't get it. So you know, understanding his mindset's in the right playoff spot. So that's my comeback player of the year there. 100% me too. Yeah, that, that was that was the quick answer for me as well. I, Sam, Joshua, you I, guys? I would, I have, differently. I would yeah. have shouts for Yamil Asad. Me too. He didn't come back from injury. Like, like MLS gives a comeback a year, and normally it's a guy who tore his ACL the year before. Jordan Morris has won it like four times, I think. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But he, he came back from not being a professional football player uh, or, yeah. or soccer player, basically. He, he went back to his loan club after DC United couldn't work out the deal was didn't play there like they yeah. they brought him back just to like spite dc united for the money um and then he was a free agent and dc united had to work a weird deal to sign him to Loudon. and then he finally gets to the dc united first team so it's been like a year and a half since he played competitive soccer at, at somewhat of a mls level and, and, and like black said during his man of the season pitch uh, he was a very integral part of what dc united did yeah i completely agree i think the the comeback he was able to make um you know, the, the comeback of kind of coming back into D.C. United um, and then the comeback of like that crappy middle part of the season into the last part of the season. Right. If you think about it all in shifts, like he yeah. really came back um, after Olsen left and and was really able to make an impact. So, yeah, Jamil for me. I like it. Yeah, I think I, I, to me, I guess I wouldn't have even thought of a guy like Yamil in the context of a comeback. I always, you know, kind of think injury context, but yeah, I mean, that that's, that totally checks it out. And then even I came around to Yamil Asad this season. Which <laughs> just I'm saying a lot. About. Yeah. Um, so I, I, like, I loved Yamil when he was here the last time. And I just, it, it took a while for him to get going, but I, I hope he can, can parlay it in the next season. The last award to give out here then guys is longtime listeners know when we had players on the show <laughs> pretty regularly, um, from March through June, um, we had them give a pitch of why we should buy their DC United jersey. And I, I don't know that any of us have bought a jersey since we had those pitches. We might have to we might have to talk about that. But um, who had the most convincing jersey pitch this season? John, you go first this time. No, I'm not going to let him get out. <laughs> John, what do you think? <laughs> Man, I went first on the last one. Um, okay. So for me, it, it, there were so many fun ones, you know, and, yeah. and, and there's a big part of me that wants to say Pippa because he just said he's I a know. normal guy, you know, <laughs> like you want. <laughs> it was a great pitch, you know, he's he's a, a man of the people and, and I like that, <laughs> um, you know. I, I was it during the Jersey pitch that Kevin promised an MLS Cup? Yes. Yeah. I, I can't. That sounds right. I, I can't remember. I, look, for me, I. I got to give it to Paul and I, and I know I'm biased because I, 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 but I thought if I remember correctly, he, he just talked about a lot of what this club meant to him um, in, in that segment. And, and that, that means a lot to me as a fan. Like I've, I've always been a big, 
big fan of the players that want to be here, want to wear the colors. You know, they're, they're not just here for the money. Not that we're throwing big money at players, right? <laughs> but they, they, they want to win for this club. And I, I really think that's Paul Ariola. I think we saw that in him re-signing here. I think we saw that in, in his, his recovery and his rehab. Um, makes him sound like a drug addict from his ACL injury. <laughs> um, and, then, and of oh, course, man. I think we're going to see oh, that you know, going forward uh, in the next season. So, and if there was a jersey I was going to buy, it would be Paul. So. Over to you guys. <laughs> I mean, I'll go next just because you mentioned it. I think I, I would give it to Kevin um, because of everything I said for my man of the season. This is a theme here, Sam. Oh, shocking. Sam <laughs> <laughs> might have a favorite player. To every other episode we've ever recorded. Um, yeah, I mean, again, just because of the future that he has, right, and because you, you got to get it this year when he signed his homegrowns. So that way in five years when he brings the MLS Cup here, you know, you can say you have it. Um, but I think you got to get it while you got the Caesars pad. Exactly. Not the fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Kevin. I, I thought his was a lot of fun. I have a couple other honorable mentions, but I want to let Black and Joshua go before um, I, I say them. I don't want to steal any thunder. Yeah, I'm not going to be super creative either. I think for me, the most convincing Jersey pitch was Kevin. You know, he was the guy who came in and said, hey, you know, I want to be on this team. I want to be a you're on this team. I want to you know, do bring all these great things to it. You know, he's a guy who's got a lot of personality. I hope that we get to watch him for a, a long time coming. Uh, so both from his play on the field and from you know the interaction we had a chance to have with him off the field, uh, that would be my most convincing pitch. Now the team also needs to help us out by making a, a solid white jersey. And by solid white, I mean like actually a solid good jersey. <laughs> because we had a solid that's what happened. jersey. <laughs> we solved so, uh, it. You know, if the team could you know, do this solid and really make sure that we've got a, a product worth buying, uh, there might be a Croatia shirt in the future. Yeah. I, All right, Joshua. I, I started off the year. I was very excited for Gressel uh, to play for DC. I, I watched him a lot in Atlanta because uh, I was down in Georgia for work. Uh, but yeah, so I broke in with that. His pitch was really good, if you haven't heard that one. It, it might fun. be one of Sam's honorable mentions. But I think I'm going to jump on the Paul Areola bus as well. Uh, we had so many fun players uh, when he like first got here. I guess that's why I don't have one already uh, with, with Wayne and Lucho. and, and like. But he, his recovery, his goal for the U.S. Men's National Team after the recovery, uh, he's he's the talisman for this club now and I don't have one. And I'd like black said, I'm hoping for a really good away Jersey so that I can, I can get his name on the back of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm to get pitched too. <laughs> <laughs> um, my honorable mention was actually going to be not even a player, but uh, Rory who came on our show. Um, when he, we asked him this question. Um, we, we tweaked it a little bit and kind of asked what his favorite DC swag was. Um, but he said the color, the pride, colors when they come out um or his his favorite so yeah, the warm-ups yeah um no the warm-ups but then also on the back you can get oh, the pride yeah, yeah. number um on the back so i would encourage um everyone you know if if you're gonna go buy a jersey go get them in that i think all of our um all of our awards can also be in the pride colors <laughs> um and then let us know we had talked about kind of consolidating all the jersey pitches um if, if that's something that our listeners want like we can absolutely put the work into it i think we had kind of um we were questioning how many jerseys will be bought this year you know <laughs> um, to put it nicely we were just wondering how many off-season purchases were, were going to be made um but they're they're at basically the ends of all our player interviews so they're really easy to go find um in our 
kind of deck of podcasts but if, if there's a want for people to just kind of listen straight through the the jersey pitches um i think we're, we're happy to make that happen for you yeah i think i would have bought more if uh, the club shop was doing deeper discounts on on old <laughs> merch uh but they they are they are doing a sale I'll, I'll throw them a little bit of a bone i was able to get a couple of cool things on, that, were, that were pretty marked down so if you've got the if you're in the dc area check out the check out the shop you're going to be disappointed with some of the stuff but you might walk away with with something else on the other side so worth taking a look at let's talk through line by line though because we've got you know looking at the <laughs> we'll go through the different positions and we'll talk about the various players and I, and I think we just kind of rapid fire like I, I don't want to rip off our friends at filibuster so we won't steal their bit we'll call it what do we want to call it cut or keep oh. what, what do we got creative cut names keep. <laughs> that's funny um yeah let's just go and do it we'll, we'll figure a name out <laughs> yeah. Auto right, yeah, we'll, we'll brand it in future seasons uh if, <laughs> if, if we get picked up but uh so we'll start with the goalkeepers this one's pretty easy um bill hamid is under contract for for the 2021 season yeah um, can i say though played in the most games so go ahead. sorry i didn't know you were gonna do a whole do your whole outline and then i have a comment Oh yeah, I was just gonna say. So he, he he had the most appearances out of the goalkeeping crew this year, um, and yes, that's okay. That's the, <laughs> the big player. I you're just gonna say <laughs> the name and go on. But something we didn't mention is that we I think we did a whole show after one of those really awful losses about whether or not Bill was even gonna remain a DC United player because he had a little bit of a stretch um, where he. I think if they hired Jill Ellis, he will. <laughs> possible yeah he's, he's made <laughs> he his opinions very clear yeah um but he stepped away for personal reasons um i don't think we ever got a, an explanation for that nor necessarily do we need one right like he's allowed to have a private life but um th- there were some rumors and i think you know if we're talking about his social media habits i think that there were there were maybe some rumors generated by his his likes on social media that he, he wasn't going to be a DC United player for very much longer. We, and we did a whole episode about it. And then I think he was like two games later back in the starting lineup. And we were like, well, I guess that didn't happen. Um, so obviously I'd love to see him stay, but um, he's also a very opinionated person. Um, and if he, you know, potentially doesn't like the way that the coaching change goes, or if the new coach comes in and he doesn't vibe with this new coach, um, I, I could, see him leaving and again that's just like his his right to do with his career what he wants um I think we as a fan base we'd all be pretty sad about it but um I I obviously want him to stay but I think that we need to keep an eye out on that well I think you know for this position in particular you kind of have to talk about the whole crew we've got there in terms of moved or not I don't think any Sane DCU fans going to say yes. It's time to move on from Hamid. He's he missed a couple of games, so it's time to you know, like Bill Hamid is your starter if he's ready to go. That that's a fairly straightforward thing. Uh, but frankly, we would like Bill to be in the national team picture. He got called in for the most recent games. You know, he's a guy who's going to end up missing some games for whatever reason. Hopefully, it's national team call-ups. So you need to have a backup that looks solid. You know, you saw that out of Chris Seitz. Uh, yeah. You know, actually keeping Bill off the field for another game or two during a stretch that was particularly tough for us. And then, you know, Earl Edwards Jr. You know, showed a lot of leadership off the field with you know, some of the, the causes he got involved in, particularly the, the Black Players for Change. Both Sites and Edwards are out of contract. It sounds like Sites is likely to resign. You know, the guy's in his mid-30s, which 
is not sounding as old as it used to, but uh, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a challenge, you know, when you, you start uh, getting up there in age. But I think we're pretty unanimous in thinking that Bill's going to be back. You know, they got him under contract for a reason, and he's going to be your everyday starter. Yeah, I think Black just kind of like took took care of the whole group, right? I think Sites is is likely to come back, um, which again, I don't think anyone would be mad at. I think he did really well when he stepped in um, when Bill had kind of stepped away. Um, and that was something kind of th- throughout MLS. Everyone was saying that um, Sites is one of the better backup goalkeepers in this league. Um, so we're really fortunate to have him. Um, and then Yarrow Edwards Jr., I don't think we're, we're re-signing him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, what yeah. what type of third keeper we do bring in um you know i i, I don't know <laughs> i haven't seen anything on that but yeah super simple for me keep keep him he's the best goalkeeper in the united states of america uh chris seitz was great when he had to fill in 33 is probably like your prime for a goalkeeper he's got at least two years um and then you want that third goalkeeper spot to be maybe a prospect or, or someone like to build a younger up. kid. Yeah. A- and Edwards Jr. was more of an MLS veteran. He had played some games down in Orlando. Uh, so I know we drafted a goalkeeper in the last draft. We probably will maybe do that again and, and try to f- pick up someone up for the future in case, you know, something changes with Hamid or sites. Well, Cause we've got yeah. what, down at Loudon who yeah, that's might be what... making a move to, to come up at some point. Yeah. Again, we've talked a little bit about how you, had some issues not being able to move players back and forth. And we did have a full complement of keepers on the year, but uh, you know, I think you hate to see players go, but inevitably you're going to have to find space for guys. You know, there's always another guy coming up. Uh, yeah, it's a, a chance to see what they got to what they have to bring to this. Yeah, and, and that's exactly where I was going to go with that. Right? Is I want our third keeper to really be like the starter in Loudon in a normal season where it's like, hey break glass in case of emergency Hamid or sites is hurt or out and can't make it. Then you're pulling that person up and, and, you know, Loudon's got a, a backup that's plugging in. But to me, Chris sites deserves so much credit for the games where he was able to step in this year. I, it wasn't, I don't think in any way was it a, a, a backup performance where he yeah. just kind of did what he had to do. He had some awesome saves. Yeah. Um, I, I was thrilled with him and I would absolutely resign him, you know, whatever kind of whatever it takes in the backup goalkeeper world. I'm not saying splash a ton of cash, right? But he's out of contract. I recognize he's 33, but you keep him around for another year or two. Um, goalkeepers can obviously play a little bit longer than than defensive center backs that we'll talk about that are in their mid to late 30s. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, um, I would I would absolutely keep Hamid. I would keep sights. And I would, if, if Earl declined his option and wants to move on to greener pastures, best of luck to him. And, and we'll find... Uh, we'll find somebody else to be number three here and and hopefully we have the opportunity for for that person to get you know a lot of experience at Loudon next year if uh if we're able to and in the history of dc United backups going on to you know be solid other places you know joe wells is you know i think still holding it down in nashville it's yeah steve clark uh portland you know, steve clark uh you know dc has got a long uh pedigree of, of solid keepers but I don't think any of us is going to say that keeper was the problem in the year. So if we want to move on to talking about some of the well, defenders. Before we move like, on, I just want to mention that like Bill Hamid was like back and ready to go and sites kind of kept that position for a couple games. So, you know, obviously like Bill is the, the number one, but I think that the fact that sites can provide some competition is really good because while Bill um, has his fantastic 
outstanding moments. Like there are a lot of games this season that we were even only in the way we were in because of Bill Hamid. He definitely has some faults, right? Like his, um, he just kind of loses it, like loses the mentality sometimes on the field. And you can see he sometimes lets in silly goals and, you know, that's something even for the national team, they were talking about things that he's going to need to improve on if he wants to see more steady minutes with that team. Um, and it's, it's been a consistent thing with him, um, as we've seen with like his distribution, right? There are some questions there as well. Um, so I think that the, like, yes, I'm not saying these are reasons not to start him. Like he has done things for DC United that probably not a lot of other keepers would have been able to do, but sites also provides a really steady, um, competition, right? Bill can't just sit back and know that he has the first spot because at any moment sites can be moved in, um, and do very well for the team. And I'll also be interested. I'd also be interested to see if Zach Thornton comes back as the goalkeeper's coach. You know, yeah, he's yeah. a guy who's worked with Bill for a number of years now, and uh, from all indications, is a solid coach there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk on uh, coaching rumors and uh, silliness in a little bit here, but <laughs> I do hope that that relationship is able to continue because uh, I feel like he's done a good job. You know, obviously he had a, a solid career in this league as well back in the day and you know is helping groom bill to be a national team starter when we have the opportunity to have that happen yeah the best teams have competition at every at every spot right and hopefully it's a problem for dc united next year that bill hamid is out with the national team whether yeah. that's world cup qualifiers or gold cup or any of the number of competitions that they have before we move on everybody's keeping hamid is everybody keeping sights yes Okay, and and everybody's cool with our leaving. I think was the was the consensus there. Yeah, I think so. Joshua, you were a little bit shaking your head when Sam was talking about Hamid. Did we did we miss something there? Or uh, it was spoken like a true DC United fan that's had the best goalkeeper in the league for the past ten years. Uh, <laughs> so spoiled in that aspect, we are. <laughs> we are absolutely spoiled. We are, and I Bill Hamid. I think it's more than likely that we're gonna be missing him. Um, in 2021 because there are just so many games that the men's national team has um you know there are basically three different teams that we're going to have to put together between qualifying for you know the world cup the olympics and the gold cup um so i think i think it's very likely that he's going to land on at least one of those rosters but i think i think we've we've talked about goalies a lot these three positions i'm excited to, to get to the rest of them um, cause I, right, they're going to be even more divisive, I think sometimes. <laughs> let's move up the line. We'll talk about, uh, the defenders. So I, I like the way we did that segment instead of player by player. I'll, I'll just run through a couple of the guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll start with, with the center back area yeah, I like yeah. that. where Steve Birnbaum has obviously held down the fort for a while, captain the team, um, Frederick Briant played an insane number of minutes uh for him this year his contract actually runs through next year uh Birnbaum is under contract as well looking across the the center backs uh Donovan Pines we talked a lot about this season he's a homegrown he's under contract um and then uh Axel Schoberg declined his option um I think the team declined yeah that's kind of the four center backs that we saw this season Discuss. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, to clarify, we declined the option on, on Schoberg. I don't think it was a question of him saying he didn't want to come back. Important clarification. Yeah, he was um, And I, I think we already talked about how he appeared something like twice for us. Uh, 
towards the end of the year when Burnbaum was out with an injury and uh, had some other hangups on getting guys on the field. You were playing Canas back there at center back, uh, which all credit to him for having that flexibility, but uh, not really where you want to be. I think, you know, given the contract situations, you know, you've got Burnbaum, you got Briant, you got Pines. I'd like to see Pines getting more minutes next year. Um, perhaps starting to shift away from Briant a little bit. Uh, again, he's 35 now. He's done a much better job than I expected when he came in from NYCFC a couple years ago. But at some point, you do need to start transitioning. And the only way at some point that Pines is going to be able to really improve is to, to be the, the weekend week out guy. And I think you saw this season that you really do need to be four deep solidly at center back. You know, perhaps one of those is a guy who can also go outside if you need him to. But yeah, there were several times this season where you had depth issues at center back. And I would like to see the team try to address that in the offseason. Yeah, I think I could, I completely agree with what you said. Um, I would love to see um, Pines more transition into the role of starter. Um, I don't think Birnbaum's going anywhere. Um, he has been pretty solid for DC. Um, he obviously loves this team. He loves living here. I don't really think he's going anywhere, and that's an issue. Um, but I would love to see his pairing with um, Pines start a little bit more. I think that um, Pines just deserves the minutes, and you're right. Like He's not going to get any better and improve if he's not getting that experience and learning um, while in the games. I think that Steven can kind of teach Donovan how to play the role, um, and I think that's that's a really – good place for Donovan to be to have such an experienced center back there with him um and I'd love you know obviously we've we've got one more year um with Frederick I think you know if he, he's just the backup coming in maybe when we you know have a bunch of games um within the span of a couple weeks or if there is you know a slight injury him coming in um and then I think you're right that we kind of need someone who can maybe be a little bit versatile I don't know that I'd want to sign another just straight center back um because I, th I think we're we're relatively set there um I'd probably save that signing for next year because we are still paying Briant um so I think that I would more want to sign someone who can be a little versatile because I'd rather see the out and out signings at other positions so I I, I was with you for a while there Sam and then I started to start to scratch <laughs> My head okay. a bit at the end, and and one of the things that came to mind was I don't think Pines actually had too many minutes with Vernbaum this season. No, I'm saying out. that I, I would love I for him he... to next season. Oh no, absolutely, but but I think that's going to be something that'll be interesting to see next year. Is you know they, okay, Brian okay. and and Pines built up a, a good chemistry this season, and and of course this isn't me saying you know let's move Vernbaum to the bench, right? <laughs> but I, I think there's, it's going to take a little bit of time for for Steve and Donovan to kind of build you know, a, a similar chemistry back there. But yeah, I think ideally, I, I totally agree with you guys. Pine should be, you know, the starter next season at, at one of those center back spots. But I would argue that we, we absolutely need to get a fourth center back who's capable of playing some minutes. And, and, and I say that just because this team has had so many injuries this past season. And we've seen, you know, like had something happened down the stretch to either Pines or Briant with Burnbaum out coming in. He's terrible. So I think to even, even if it's a young kid, right, if it's if it's a Loudon, uh, you know, or, or I don't know if, you know, the, the uh, Jacob Green, who we're going to talk about a little bit here is the new homegrown signing. I think he's more of a defensive midfielder, but I would love to see 
somebody in, 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 in as, as the fourth center back who's, who's actually capable of, of plugging in and, and, and playing a role. And, and maybe they're another one that's going back and forth between Loudon. But I just I, I really don't want to go into another season where I see a position that's just glaringly not deep enough. It, it, it's it, that concerns me <laughs> from from recent memories with DC United. And you're right. I'm sorry, Joshua, uh, but I think all of these decisions are based on saying, hey, we're going to play two center backs, you know, probably that's four right. across the back. You know, it could potentially shift, you know, moving forward. But we're we're talking about these positions based on what we're used to seeing out of the team. You know, a lot of change in the future for us. Well, hey, if it, and if they go three or five at the back primarily, then they absolutely have to get out of the position, <laughs> right? Because then, then That's I want, true. I want yeah. more. That's very true. It, it, it will depend upon the, the coach that we sign and the the rollout that he or she wants to give DC United. Um, you're right, because if we play three or five in the back, we absolutely need another center back, and that completely yeah. changes my opinion. I think I am assuming we're going to be in relatively the same lineup. Yeah, uh, goalkeeper was drama free. The the only dilemma I have with the defenders is, do we think Pines is ready to be the out and out striker because or out, 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 out center back? He could play striker. Gosh, but but is, is he ready to start next to Burnbaum every game? Burnbaum is the starter for this team. He's the captain. Uh, I I think he's one of the better center backs in the league. Uh, I think Briant's days are are soon fading. Uh, he looked really bad. And, and, and the fact that we, we played very defensively with those two guys in the back, Brayant and Burmont, because they're very slow. And, and so you need that kind of pine center back, the fast, long legs, uh, kind of roaming around next to one of the, you know, a stalwart in the back. Uh, and so either we should go out and get someone for pines to be an understudy for kind of uh, like older in their career, but, you know, very talented. Uh, DC United were looking at players from the second division of England at the beginning of the season, but, but didn't pull the trigger. They probably should have in hindsight. Um, but I, I could also see if that happens, we could probably ship Briant to another MLS team. Austin's coming in. They could probably use a veteran center back uh, or, you know, they're taking all our other players. So yeah. Yeah. Also how, how big, how big do you think the market is for a 35 year old center back? Uh, he's on a one year deal. You just need a patchwork job. Uh, I, I could see that being, you know I mean, you're thinking like mid season kind of move or something. And then I, I could see a team pulling him as a depth piece. Cause I, I don't like think... a Bobby Boswell esque move. Uh, you think? That's that's a little bit what happened with Bobby Boswell when he went to yeah. Atlanta, right? Like he, he was a very he was veteran like, defender. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about when he came into No, us. when he left DC to yeah. Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, I, something like that. Uh, if if not the default is that I, I want Briant to be the backup for Burnbaum and Pines and, and allow that one to grow. I, I just we probably do need a fourth one in there as well. The tricky thing about center back is that like you want a solid pairing. That's not a position where every other game you want to see that switch up like you really want two who are playing most to all of your games right and so, so you don't want to start a season i don't know i, I you don't want to start a season with with 22 and a 35 year old center back maybe unless you're I'm really not saying that really bought that. in on one of those and, and i'm not bought in uh fully on pine starting the whole season he, he showed glimpses i think he was the best player for dc united this year um uh, but 
if we're going to play defensively like we have before, we, we really need to be good. I mean, I think I'm also doing this assuming that we're not going to try to just park the bus every game and, like, get our spurts, right? I'm thinking about, like, typical soccer where you're attacking and trying to defend not within your 18-yard box. You're at least kind of within that middle third of the field. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I, I think I would like to see Briant come back for sure. Um, so let's let's actually well here, here's why I would like to see Brian come back for sure because I, I, I we know he can plug in in the event of an injury right so if we if we assume and, and maybe incorrectly but we assume it's Burnbaum and and Pines in there primarily in a four man back line as your center backs I I think Brian absolutely can can still play that role um, I also could see him and and I probably would have felt even stronger if if Olsen was still here and and, and we we're on that trajectory but I could see him transitioning into coaching at some point and i'd be interested to see if that's something that he wants to try to do here in the dc area whether that's for loudon or for dc um but i i would like for him to to stick around um ideally so let's recap um who we're keeping for me um i'm absolutely keeping um burnbaum i'm keeping pines i'm keeping Briant, and i'm blasting showberg into the sun (laughs) i think that's we all feel similarly in that I mean, yeah. I don't know. I was going to try to be positive about it, but maybe we just need to go sign somewhere else. <laughs> Joshua, right. Michael, same feelings? Yeah, I think, I think we've covered that fairly well. You know, and you know, looking at the, the – we'll start transitioning into, you know, other defensive positions. You know, talking about trying to bring in a fourth center back. We're, we're kind of thin on the, the outside backs right now, so – you know, if it's somebody you can find who is a bit of a unicorn who can play those different spots, or you know, maybe you'll end up seeing Kanaus, you know, back in one of those roles as well. Um, I think you you do need to have another defender on the roster with Schoberg being gone uh, and some of the other moves they've made. Uh, but I think we're all in agreement that we want to see more time for plans next year. Burbaum's a locked-in starter. Brian's going to start transitioning off. All right, we want to move yeah, on. Yeah, so so backs. moving outside yeah. then, um, you know, to, to the outside backs, it's interesting. Um, Joseph Moore was extended, which is awesome news in my book. Um, O'Neill Fisher uh, option was declined, um, and then Chris Duyachum has been offered. They're looking to bring him back, and then this is where we're kind of in that gray area. But Jacob Green has been signed as a new homegrown player, um, and, I, and I think we're going to kind of learn where his best position is out there, but. Yeah, it's it's not terribly strong. Um, we thought, you know, the Fisher and Mora group was was it for for a while there in in 2018 until um, Fisher went down with an injury. And um, but for me, out of this group, um, I, I'm actually pretty okay with this. I'm I'm a little disappointed that that Fish might not be coming back, but I also don't think Fish is the out and out starter anymore. And so if he can go somewhere else in, in this league or elsewhere and, and get those minutes, then good on him. I, I wish him the best. He's he's done a lot for this team and, and was a, another fun interview for us. Um, I'm a huge Joseph Moore fan, so I'm thrilled to see him coming back. And and I thought Chris was one of the guys that, that you know I failed to bring up earlier in, in the show, but he really came into his own this year in, in a lot of ways. Um, and in terms of comeback player of the year, we all slept on my man coming back That's from, so from being cancer, That's right? That's so true. Uh, so I'm thrilled with, with what we saw out of Chris this season. I, I think it's kind of his job to lose as well. But we got to bring in some other players here for competition in, in, in my book. I can... Assuming we, 
that, sorry, assuming they get that deal done, you know, the COA deal is not locked in. And we all know the roster isn't set until, well, a couple weeks into the season at least, but a lot of moves to do. But, you know, I would like to see him come back for sure. Yeah, um, I completely agree. I think Fisher um, had a lot of potential, and then he went down with injury, and then this season he hasn't seen that he can pick back up in that potential the same way that Chris has. Um, so I'm, I'm mostly I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, I think um, I think Mora does does really well for us. I think that in this position though, you also have to talk about like. It, are Paul and Julian going to continue playing there? And again, this is a really big question mark about what the new coach who comes in is going to do with this club because we've seen both of those players drop back in. And if we decided to do something like five in the back and we just had three center defenders, I could then see those outside backs, like probably Mora would be in there, but you know, maybe Paul or Julian would also be in the mix, right? And be able to kind of provide that defensive role they've obviously been working towards understanding how to do that but then also just really kind of running up the flanks um obviously I in the way that we were playing defense and just kind of parking the bus they weren't set up for success in that way but um the question mark of the coach is really just going to indicate I mean when you look at it the way that John just described like that's a pretty dire situation and uh, I, I do still think we need to sign another outside back um, maybe green is the answer I don't know maybe we throw him over at Loudon um, I am not familiar with his playing and capabilities but there are two players who could potentially play back there whom we haven't mentioned yeah and I think that's a big I'll, I'll go in I I disagree on the Chris Odiatsum I don't think he's ready to start especially considering the rest of our back line I, I think Mora is on lock we should keep him as long as he wants to be here he, he's fantastic uh, Jacob Green, from the scouting reports that I've seen, and, and I do remember watching him at Loudon a little bit, um, he, he's a left or right back, but but like you said, youth players are very flexible. He could end up in the midfield or anywhere. Um, we shouldn't count on him. I think he's a Loudon guy for now. Um, uh, the right is just, uh, like I said, with, with the rest of the back line, I feel like we need a really good signing there. I would like to bring someone in and then, you know, ha have it out on the training ground. If COA beats him, good. I, we didn't see a lot of him this season, unfortunately. I think he made seven appearances total. Five of them were, were off the bench. Uh, but he did look good in those. I don't know if he's MLS Cup caliber, and, and I really want this team to get there. I think there are a few pieces away. Um, uh, John, do you think that COA is MLS Cup caliber? No, I was I was surprised when you gave the stats for appearances for him. And, That's what I'm, and I'm looking. Who scored? Yeah, I'm looking at the DC United website, and I'm seeing that he played in 15 games oh, okay. and, and had eight starts. Okay, uh, still. Sorry, it just jarred me. I was like, I feel like we saw Chris yeah, a lot yeah. more than. That. Sorry. <laughs> still, only eight starts and what? In two years, I, I'm not completely sold. I think bringing in someone there uh, and let him have out on the training ground. So I don't think any of – I don't think John or I said that Chris should necessarily start. So are you saying that you don't agree that Chris should I, I be resigned? I said it was his job to lose, for sure. Okay, with, okay, with you're this right. Roster, yeah. With this roster. So, right. so to Joshua, do you think that he should not have been offered the option? Oh, no. I mean, well, it's pending for a reason. Uh, I think maybe they're trying to sign him as a backup right back and maybe looking towards bringing someone in because um, otherwise it just makes too much sense to just keep him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I would like to see an improvement. Hara was a good experiment. It didn't really work out. Uh, maybe we bring in a similar type of signing. Yeah, 
I think you, you need to make a at least one signing at outside back. I think uh, that COA is going to be at a roster number that you can easily fit on there. I think I agree with you that he isn't a you know locked in starter that you're going to expect to see every week. I would love to see him get to that point, but he's not there yet. And based on where we're at right now, you've got a guy who should be at Loudon in, in green. You've got yeah. Mora and you got COA. Those are the only three outside backs on your roster. So you definitely need to bring in another player to push that a little bit because as we've seen, you guys start going down and you get messy in a hurry. Well, and I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think Joshua, you alluded to it a little bit though. And, and we talked about it with the center backs. What formation do we want to run here? Right. Because with it, with a fully healthy team, an argument could be made that you could move guys like Paul or, or, uh, or Julian into wingbacks if you wanted to do that. Um, so I think that that gives you a little bit more depth. It, it's, it's a very crowded midfield as well. But also we saw a number of games with Russell Canals at outside back. I don't think any of us love seeing Russell there, but he's another guy that could, could plug in. Um, so are, are we, for the sake, for conversation's sake, right, are we, are we saying we're talking – outside backs in, in a generally four-man back line, and, and the, we're saying we don't really want to talk about a situation where we've got a Paul or a Julian or a, or a Russ in there. No, because I'm more fine with that. I mean, I said that I'm super fine with us moving someone back there. I think that means that we have a more offensive mentality, right? I don't think a new coach is going to come in and ask Paul or Julian to sit back in defense the way that Ben was doing. So, I agree. Regardless, I do think we would need to sign another player here, um, someone who can compete for minutes um, a little bit more than it sounds like we're saying Green is going to be able to. Um, but basically, I guess whatever our back line is going to be, whatever the formation is, I think is would determine the which position we need a bigger signing for. So if we're going to go like five in the back or three in the back, I would say that we need to sign a really good center back. If we're going to stick with four in the back, I'd say we need to sign a really good outside back. It really just depends upon who the coach is going to be. Um, and I, I am guessing that DC United is a little bit waiting for that too. And we're going to get into that conversation. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you'd have to be crazy to put Paul Ariola in the back line right now. Uh, I, I think that was a Ben Olsen patch job uh, that we saw and, and he hustles, right? But we would probably be the only team in the league, uh, and I'll just say it right now, we would be the only team in the league with a DP right back. And I might be wrong, but I really doubt that I am. Uh, Gressel, I'm not hanging my head. I'm, I'm writing out a potentially awesome <laughs> five-man back line. I, I think, I'm all about the five-man back line. I think you would have to sell Gressel on it from, from what I did in, in the research. I, I saw that he made one appearance at, at right back, uh, or yeah, at a true like right back position. Uh, well, that's what yeah. I'm saying is if you move them back, they're not like true. I wouldn't move them back in a four-man back line. I would move yeah, them yeah. back if we were in a five-man back line. I would potentially move Gressel to right back in the four-man back line. That's what he did at Atlanta. I, that's not what he wants See, to do, I, though, right? I don't think Gressel has the speed to play right back in a four-man back Ooh. line. I think he can do it in a if you got the five and you're giving them freedom to go forward. You know, that was where he had a lot of success in Atlanta. Um, I, I agree with you about that would be playing Paul out of position. You know, you don't necessarily have to play a guy where he's going to play for the national team, but you'd like to try to. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a guy who's going to give you work rate wherever you put him. He's going to do everything he can, but that is a misuse of his talents. I think, you know, Sam summed it up very well that, you know, 
depending on what you're trying to play. If, if it's five, then you need a center back. If it's uh, four at the back, you can be an outside back. And we're going to have to see what happens moving forward because right now there are two outside backs in the roster. <laughs> Which is worrying. Yeah. Um, John, I'm, I'm very eagerly awaiting what you just created for us. Yeah, well, timing's good. So, I, I mean, look, if you did a five-man back line and you had Gressel and Paul as your wing backs in this situation, right? Oh. It has to be the right. It has to be the right, you know, lineup. You know, right opponent. But then you plug Junior in as your defensive midfielder, and then you've got Flores, Assad, Paredes as your midfield, and then I put a frowny face, but Kamara, I guess, is who we're stuck with on top <laughs> right now. But it could be. I don't know. Like that, that would get some of your best players on on, on the field. Um, but I think defensively, you're right. You don't want to have a Paul or a Julian primarily defending so you would have to really be confident in the ability of, of steve donovan and and um and, and federic up there at the same time and can they can they really lock down the box and in, in more of a three-man back line and, and, and free up um those 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 proper midfielders but wing backs in in, in julian and, and paul there that's where you would go out and splash the cash in a center defensive role which sounds weird but because you have your dp also in the back line right like it makes sense to go ahead and Hire or like to shine someone. He's like, we fired Ben, and now we're gonna have two DPs in the back line. I didn't say necessarily DP, but someone, you know, especially as we're talking about someone who's 35 and someone who's 22, right? Like, some kind yeah. of someone in the middle who has experience, who's proven that they're able to play in this league and really be solid. Someone kind of like Steve Birnbaum, potentially a little bit more elevated in skill. Um, but I and then even that gives you more flexibility if you have that person and Steven develop a really good relationship to switch out Pines and Briant a little bit more so than you would do with just two in the back. Uh, I, the only problem I have with, with, with John's thing is that one of those two, Paul or Gressel, and it's a problem for the coach, it's bigger than, than what we have. It, it, one of them would have to play inverted because they're both right-footed players. Yep. You're um, right. Uh, so Gressel would have to cut back to whip in those crosses, and then Paul could not score. I don't think he has a tough time hitting volleys with his right. It would be very fun to <laughs> I see. I knew that was coming. <laughs> hey, he did. I believe he scored that goal for the U.S. with his left foot, though, which is really nice to see. Um, well, maybe this is a good transition into the midfield then because, I mean, that that is the case regardless of if they're playing defense or if they're playing in the midfield, right? Like, that's, that's just yeah. what D.C. United did is we signed two really good players who play the exact same position, and I think – it was never the intention to have them competing for minutes. So maybe so, let's move in. Before we okay. leave totally, though, let's just make sure we're all tracking. You're right. Um, Joseph Mora, everybody's keeping him? Yes? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, Chris Duyachum, I'm keeping him. Yeah. I'm keeping him. Ke keeping him. I'm not necessarily starting him, but keeping him. Michael? Yeah, we have two outside backs. If we go out and sign two others and, you know, he doesn't have a spot in, on the roster then, you know, it is what it is. But based on what we're looking at right now and some of the other positions that we think are of greater need, yeah. uh, especially considering he's going to be at a low roster number, uh, yeah, keep him. Does anybody, obviously the team's already made the decision at this point, but does anybody really want to bring back Fish? No, I think it was the right goal. I think him and COA are at the same point Yeah. Right I wouldn't have been surprised had DC United decided to keep him, but the fact that they didn't says to me that maybe we've got a little bit of the ambition that the fan base has been calling for. I think we'll come back and be frustrated if we don't make a couple signings at outside <laughs> back and we let Fish yeah. walk. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. And, and Michael, you're 
You good you, with Fisher leaving? Did you say you're going to keep Fish? Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the decision. Right? Like, I, I wasn't looking going into this offseason saying, oh, I really hope we see more Fisher. You know, I probably still have a little yeah. bit of uh, animosity toward him from <laughs> you know, the beginning of his career here where it was a, a really rough six months or so. I yeah. uh, rounded into form, you know, played well for us last year. This year, you know, on a, a bad defensive team, was not getting major minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's time to find something else. Now, caveated with the fact that it is hard to find outside backs that you can really rely on, especially in a league where you're limited the way you are. Um, but no, I, I think it's time to look elsewhere and hope you can do better. Yeah, and, and with that, we'll move into the midfield. Um We'll start more in the defensive midfield. So Moreno uh, was extended. Uh, so that's that to me is exciting news. Obviously, I gave him uh, high marks for for man of the season. Um, Russell Knaus, natural spot is is more of a central defensive midfielder. Um, and then of course Felipe, um, his option was declined, but it sounds like the club is working to try to bring him back, and he's still recovering from from the ACL. So those were kind of going into the season the three primary options there and of course Moses Nyman um, the, the homegrown player who had a, a great showing at the end of the season and is one of MLS's what is it uh, 1523 2222 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. even better 20, <laughs> 20, 20, 20. I was close I got the two right I guess um, but no big big future for me honestly guys I would try to find a way to keep all four of these guys I agree and also um, it, when you look at social media and you obviously Felipe wants to stay, right? I don't think that's a question. And also just the access to the facilities that they're giving him and the way that they're still trying to bring him back from injury, um, I lends me to believe that they are also looking to sign him back. Yeah, he's been the biggest fan of Bill Hamid and Paul Ariel over the past couple of weeks. So it, it's looking yeah. like he'll be back. I, I, I agree. All right. So there's, there's two. I agree that we should try to keep all these guys. These are MLS starters, all four of them. But inherently, that is a problem. Uh, maybe we bring in a coach who doesn't like to defend in a low block for the whole game, uh, hopefully. Uh, and, and I wonder what they what they see with all these pieces. Uh, Felipe is the only one, uh, only real one that you listed that can kind of play in different roles in the midfield. I think he started at the 10, the 8, and the 6 for DC United this year. Um and then Nyman, of course, you keep him because um, he's 22 under 22. <laughs> yeah, and Felipe, you know, ended up taking several free kicks for us. So, you know, so you know, not necessarily super successfully, but he was a guy who, you know, like you said, was able to play different roles. I, I'm actually, I'm glad that the team is kind of making the tough move there of saying, you know, we're not going to extend your option straight up. The reality is that yeah. he just had a major ACL injury and it's, you have to be seeing how he's going to come back from that. I think he's done a lot to rehabilitate his image with the United fans. And there are still plenty of folks who are upset about him for his prior conduct. And I think we would probably be upset with him too, if uh, he was still in a different squad, but you know, he certainly has done a lot to engender uh, that respect from the folks here. Um, I would like to see him bring him back on a lower number yeah. than the something like 500 K that he's on right now. Uh, if he feels like he needs to get that from somewhere else, then more power to him. But it, it's it's a tough sell for me when I don't necessarily want him to be starting you know, 
day in day out to say that you're going to have him be one of your top paid players. Would Felipe so, be your first out of the group then um, of the of the four of them? If if it, if numbers dictated, you can't keep four of these guys. Is that who you're getting rid of? I think so. Oh, okay. So I was just about to say the way that we, I mean, none of us have, have mentioned Russell Knauss, right? So is he the, the lowest on our oh. depth chart right now for this? No. Uh, okay. he's him and Moreno. Especially with, with the flexibility that he gives yeah. you as far as the way he's slotted into some of those defensive roles. I think that, you know, his natural position is more of that, you know, center defensive midfielder. Uh, you know, and if having Felipe move on gives more opportunity for Knauss to play where he is better suited for then that could be a plus. Uh, you know, you hate to see guys leave, but at some point, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think Felipe is probably the bottom of these guys. And, and I, I, like I said, I hope they can find a way to make it work. Um, but it's it's not only a numbers game in terms of, um, you know, salaries, but like you said, minutes for these guys too. If you have a coach that comes in and, and doesn't even want to play a formation that has two of these guys on the field at once, right? Like maybe maybe there's only room for one like primarily defensive midfielder out there and what they do. And then that's, you know, that's half the minutes gone right yeah. there. Um, so I think it's also potentially going to be a conversation for, you know, in, in Felipe being the one who's out of a deal at the moment he may look at this and say, wait a minute, you know, is there going to be room for me to get back into this side? Um, but knowing it's an ACL, I, I think there's an opportunity here for DC United to bring him back at a little bit lower of a number, get him through his rehab, uh, you know, kind of do right by him. He could get some rehab starts at Loudon. You know, he's obviously not going to spend much time there. He's a, he's an MLS caliber starter. Um, but then, you know, if there's room late in the season for him, great. And, and maybe he's a guy who moves on, you know, in the 2022 season. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, a weird universe we're in where I'm sitting here advocating for us to try to find a, find a way to keep Felipe, but I think that just shows how much he's done for this team and, and his time. Okay. And regardless, I do want the team to be right by him. You know, he, he got injured playing for this team. I, I'm, not, I'm not by any means advocating to say, you know, cut him off and, you know, have this be, you know, yeah. be by all means, give him all the opportunity he can to, to rehab and, and get back to where he can. Uh, hopefully at a slightly lower number, you know. And a number that makes sense for the team. John, just as an exercise, if if like you said, a coach comes in, there's only one D mid spot, uh, and, and neither of these guys, I, I think it would happen. One of them would end up shifting roles. But if you couldn't, which one are you playing? Is is it Canals or is it Moreno right now? I think it's Moreno, especially as as an alone. If you're in a situation where they're the lone defensive guy in your midfield, I, I think it's I think it's junior for me. I think you can shift. You could potentially shift Russ further forward, or you could, you know, deploy him as as we talked about in a in an actual defender role. Um, but yeah, I think I think Moreno is is the out and out starter for me. If there's only one. Guys, I got to say, I, I really disagree with this conversation that we're having right now. And it's a lot to do because of the conversation we just had in defense, right? We still had a lot of questions about the defense. And I think that Felipe provides that, like, stop in front of the defense in the way that, like, Russell and Moreno don't. Maybe they provide more options, like, going forward. Obviously, they're very defensive, but I think that they're a little bit better, like, kind of pushing up whereas like if you're worried about who your center backs are I think Felipe is the guy that's like really stopping a lot of things before it even gets to your center back so I think I have him a lot higher on my depth list than, than you all are painting as one, him as, as, the, as the starter if there's only room for one and he's I would 
love to see that competition between him and Junior. Okay, so Russ is kind of on the out for you, though, either way. Yeah, which I I love Russell Knauss, right? Like, I hate to say it, but I just think that he is, like, too traditional at number six. I think that the game is evolving a little bit past that, and I think that, like, 10 years ago <laughs> or even, like, eight years ago, like, Russell Knauss would have, like, been the man there, right? But I just think that, like, you... I don't know. I just think you need a little bit more fight in that role nowadays. I get where you're coming from. I mean, Felipe is definitely a known quantity with the caveat that he's coming back from a major injury. Yeah. If we we are in a situation where we're going down to just having that one central defensive midfielder, for me, I would rather you've got Moreno, again, a fairly known quantity, a guy you just extended. You've got Canales, who was getting sniffs at for being on the national team a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, Not recently. You've got though. Nyman, who's still at his you know, very beginning of his career. If you do end up only having that one slot, I would be fine with saying, okay, Moreno is your guy week in, week out. Maybe you find a way to move Canal somewhere else in the league. Uh, and then, you know, Nyman the backup there. But being four deep at a position where you're only playing one person, uh, does seem like a bit of a luxury. But I also think, Black, you were the one who said that Felipe has versatility, right? And we can play him in a little bit more of an offensive position. And maybe Felipe is not even starting, right? Maybe it is junior. But you have Felipe who can come off the bench or if he gets injured or he can play in a couple different positions on this team. You know, he can also come take the free kicks. And then you have Moses who's there who can be slotted in to kind of continue to get that experience. Or he's starting some of these games and getting that experience, right? But I think that, like, that three is a super solid and like really exciting. And I just feel like, again, man, I love Russell Knauss and I like hate that I'm saying it and even like taking this point of view. Um, Cause I, I also think it'd be fine if he starts, right. I just think that like he represents a little bit of the older DC United mindset of just like sitting and defending. Whereas I would like to see us like move uh-huh. into a little bit more attacking. And I don't know that, that Russell provides that creativity um, and that's that spark to really like set things in motion going up the field. And I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now trying to get the number on how long we've got Canals under contract because some of it is going to be shaped by those dynamics that you have extended Moreno. You've got him under contract. You've got Nyman under contract. You've got Canals under contract. I'm trying to figure out. You can also trade him though. Left on it, but Sam, you can you know, stop. You're not trading Russell Canals. A U.S. Men's National Team prospect. I don't think he's really a prospect anymore. He was getting called up. I, he is. He's been playing on a really bad team recently. They can't blame him for that. But he, he's good. He is good. He is good. And, and every team plays with a six. Chelsea have Conte. Yeah. Real have he's got Canals under Kessinger. contract through the end of 2023. Yeah. I, I don't think you're shipping Russell Canals. Uh, I, I think best case scenario, Moreno starts at the six. Russell learns to be a bit more of an eight. I, I, that for me, that's. I'm totally best. fine with that too. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know that I would ship Felipe before I tried to figure out what else to do with Russell. Oh, well, and what's what's particularly interesting and underpinning all of this is we still don't have a coach, right? So we don't know <laughs> what style we're gonna play. We're, yeah. we're playing the GM role here, right? Of like, let's try to fill out this roster as best we can. Let's give the new coach options everywhere. Yeah. Uh, 
That's a good point. I'd also like to be clear that I'm not saying that, like, I think we should trade Russell. I'm just saying that you guys were, like, super sold on the fact that Felipe needed to go, and I'm not as sold. Like, I think that there are different conversations that need to be I'm had not, around not these four players. Go, right? I'm just if saying it felt like that was, like, the, the undertone of the conversation was, like, well, this is where we're going, and I think that there – I don't think that that's a given, right? I think that there are situations in which, well, but Russell also provides that depth in defense, right? Like we've seen him slot into those positions. And if we were to try to like shift him into a more defensive mindset, he had out of his mind games in center back. And then he had really poor games in center back. Right. So I think it was a little bit unfair to him because he was being asked to do such different things every game, but potentially if we did want to shift him, you know, maybe a little bit more into a defensive role or he just has the six, right? I'm just saying it's like yeah. not t- granted that Russell gets that that he's second on the depth chart for that. I think 25 year old American national team prospect over a 30 year old that just came off his like ACL. A national team prospect anymore. I, when I was the last time he was called up? I don't even true. think he got a how cap. It was cupcake camp, and he like didn't even get a cap in it. Uh, how so many like, MLS teams has Felipe been bouncing around to? Like three at this point. Like he, he's so is Nagby, and how many rings does he have? How many rings does Felipe have? None. Okay. I'm just saying that that's not always like sometimes you're just the utility guy and sometimes you just bounce around. Speaking of utility guys, should we talk about some of the other uh, <laughs> midfielders? Probably. I yes. can't believe you're shipping Russell Canals. I'm, I'm not shipping him, Russell. I'm telling him next time he's on the show. I'm, I'm not him. shipping Russell Canals. I love him. I would love for him to sell me I'm a house. Say, I'm Josh just saying. This article saying. from Fans Eye that says U.S. Men's National Team Russell Canals has a long way to go, and that was from last January when that was his last camp of that's what i'm saying it's not like he's like on the cusp of it right like i think a I little bit with burn bomb as he was like right there and then he saw a little bit of a dip and There's he like hasn't really been called up left. yeah there is i'm just saying <laughs> uh, that it's a conversation yeah so i i think at the end of the day though i none of us are, are out like would definitely get rid of any of those no guys. i would keep all four and then just see what happens yeah all right so let's let's go outside in the midfield uh, actually you know who we didn't talk about we failed to talk about Abu. Oh, he's gone. I think he's gone, yeah. yeah. His option was declined. And, boy, that, that one to me hurt a little bit because yeah. I thought he, he put in some good shifts. Yeah. And, and had, a, had a rough injury. But I, we just we spent 20 minutes talking about how crowded that space is. So I just I don't know. Yeah, it's also unfortunate because I think the other players really liked him. There were a lot of um, pressers, and I think potentially more the pregame pressers. Um, so maybe these little details didn't always get tweeted out while we were covering them. Um, but I just think a lot of the other DC United players were excited about what he was bringing to the table. So I am not mad that he's being sent elsewhere, um, that he's not going to return to DC United. I'm sad for, like, the what could have beens. But, I mean, again, I just, like, really threw a wrench in the whole conversation <laughs> with Russell. So I'm not going to say that he should also stay. Well, let's move to outside midfield, or I guess attacking midfield, rather. Um, Paul Ariola, Jamil Assad. Edison Flores, Julian Gressel, uh, uh, Kev Paredes, uh, Reyna, and of course Segura was on the roster up until yesterday, uh, or to the, I guess this morning. Rather. Yeah, technically this morning. Um, but yeah. he's still kind of in the conversation. I mean, he's not in the conversation. He's gone. <laughs> he's playing for Austin next season. Yeah, and, and yeah, he was a guy who, you know, seemed to get a lot of leeway from Ben and 
a lot of times we looked at it and said, why is... But also the fan base. Most of what I've seen on Twitter about him leaving is people being sad about it and kind of being like, yeah, not surprising. I would have liked to see him stay. But, like, I was surprised about the the reaction that I've seen so far about that move. Yeah. I mean, you like to have a guy who can play a lot of those roles, but I never looked at it and said that this was the answer at any of yeah. those positions. Um, you know, so perhaps we'll regret not having the depth, but if we end up flipping that what, 150k in GAM into making one of those need signings, um, I think it's a smart piece of business for us. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we've got a lot of depth too. Yeah. Like you, you just read off so many names. Yeah. And, to me, and, oh, go ahead, Joshua. Yeah, I was just going to say, going back to your list, I think uh, Segura is the only one that you did that that's no longer. I think every single one of those players needs to be back next year and playing, and half of them need to be in the starting lineup at all times. Uh, for me. Yeah, I think the only thing I wanted to add about Segura real quick, though, is I was one of the guys who was a little bit – I'm, I'm sad to see him go, uh, but I'm only sad to see him go as, as, a, as a roster player. I like Segura was somebody who I loved to see on the bench. I was regularly frustrated when he was in the starting lineup, and I think that's because we have, we have guys who should be starting over him in the midfield, and my dude's not a striker, so we need to have better options up top to where he's not even on the depth chart. But I like Segura. I, I am a little bit sad to see him go. I, I think he'll see some success in, in Austin. Yeah, and this is a situation where a lot of these guys are under contract for a longer period of time. So it's not necessarily a question of bring this guy back, then bring this guy back. I think the only option in, in the folks she listed was Reyna, who they decided to extend. Um, yeah. All those other guys are going to be back and uh, impacting for a while now. Well, and one thing that's interesting about the Segura move is whether or not there was language in that contract or a drug deal, if we <laughs> want to call it what it is, that said Austin could not select someone from DC United in the expansion draft. We've, yeah. we've seen things like that before. There is precedent. Um, and, and that's actually coming up on Tuesday this week. That's, yeah. uh, that, that's on December 15th. Austin's been making... Five. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just say they, they will select five players from MLS teams, um, and there's there's a number of teams. There's 10 teams teams that are exempt who had players selected by either Miami or Nashville and DC United did not have a player selected by those teams so uh, unless there's some language in this this trade DC United could absolutely get somebody taken um, and, and they'll, they'll make their selections probably tomorrow of who they're going to protect yeah those have to come out eventually um, I don't want to obviously get into um, much of a tangent on Austin but what they're doing is really interesting because they also just signed Nick Lima from San Jose Earthquakes um, and there's a lot of conversation in that trade also about whether or not that means that they're not going to um, take anybody from San Jose in the expansion draft. So I think that they're potentially approaching the expansion draft a little bit differently. And they're saying, how many deals can we get done for players we actually want? Right. Yeah. We're going to approach teams and say, we want this player. And they're like, I mean, he might have been protected for DC United, right? Like, I don't know that he would have been one of the ones who was up for grabs. So the fact that Austin's making all these, like, really proactive moves. All this to say, I wouldn't be surprised if then they do say, okay, we're not going to take anyone else from DC, right? Whether or not that's in the contract or they're just like, or what was in the deal, or if they're just like, no, nah, we're good. We got who we wanted from you all, right? I think that likely the rest of our lineup is safe. And I think that because of the precedent, Austin is like kind of circumventing the expansion draft rules and really just going after who they want. They're being really strategic about it. It, it was a gentleness of agreement, and I don't think we should bank on, on that happening. We could probably see a DC United player still picked. Uh, they got Claudio Reyna over there who knows the league very well. Uh, 
at the, at the GM position. I also don't know that DC United is one of the top five teams that's going to have somebody on their unprotected list that you want to pull from. Wait, wait till the next segment. All right. But yeah, I, I, I'm really curious to see what happens. Ariola should be back on the right. Uh, we talked about the whole right back thing. Uh, I think we found out the Flores is better on the left. Assad can do the job in the middle. I would be interested to see if we bring in. I, gosh, Columbus signed a seven million dollar ten, and they won MLS Cup. They went from tenth in, in the East to the MLS Cup champions. I would love to see a signing like that. I don't know if it's possible or, or feasible with you know how revenue has gone this year. Uh, but it's a solid group of some really good players. Keep all of them. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think there's, I mean, yes, like the 10, right. But I think like potentially in our defense and we're about to get to our forward, which <laughs> I don't know that we're going to have a lot to say about that other than like, I really hope we sign someone. So if this isn't the window that we sign that number 10, right. Like maybe we fill in some of these other holes and then it's like next season that that's the really the area of focus. I wouldn't be surprised. Cause I think that this is a very, solid midfield um and it's where we have the most depth so is there anyone other than segura that we would get rid of in the midfield i don't want to get rid of flores you know he made a you know he was a big signing this year you you want more out of him yeah you know if you go another year or so sure. and you're still having trouble integrating him and figuring out what the best way to use him you know at some point, you need to make a decision. I'm not by any means saying we're there yet. I think you get a lot of latitude for you know guys coming from abroad in a year like the year we had. Uh, but I would like to see more out of a guy like that who you are paying DP money to. Yep. Yeah, and that, and I, I totally agree with that. I think he's poised for a breakout season next year. I hope he does. Um, but you're also in a tricky spot with some of those contracts where you can't, you can't just cut a guy like that because you got money on the books to tied up with them, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I I'm very optimistic about Flores next year. And I think that's going to be a centerpiece of, of coaching conversations is like, what are you going to do with these players? We have very much tied down because you've got to get the most out of them. Yep. Um, one guy yeah. we didn't talk about in this segment uh, is Griffin Yao, who I think we're all keeping as well. Yeah. Um, he had a, <laughs> a pretty good season this year, young kid. Um, the sky's the limit really uh, for him as well. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I keep Griffin. I'd love to see him keep going. Um, the other person I wanted to highlight is Reyna, right? I'm not surprised that we extended that um, because we just brought him in. Um, and I think that next season will be very telling um, about what he can do for us, you know, with, with a new coach, a new system, a clean slate, hopefully a lot better than this season. Um, I'll be interested to see what he does end up bringing to the table. Yeah. And all indications are that Reyna you know, has a good relationship with Flores. They, yep. you know, gel well. That might be part of the key to unlocking him. And I enjoyed watching him play. You know, he ended up being a little bit limited down the stretch for various reasons. But you know, anytime he was out there, he really did seem like he was animating and, and contributing. So I, I would like to see more from from him next year too. Well, with that, let's move to forwards, where it's not pretty. Ola <laughs> Kamara uh, still under contract, fortunately. Uh, Helmut Rios' the option was uh, declined. Sorga uh, is, is still around for next season. Um, and that's kind of it, friends. I think well, before this we get is... too far into the forwards, you know, we have talked about it several times, but we have fairly crowded wings in, in the midfield as well. Like, 
you've got Gressel, you've got Ariola, you've got Assad, you've got Paredes, you've got a lot of guys who are going to be buying for minutes. And a lot of that's going to have to sort itself out as far as where you play guys and where the minutes are available, depending on your formation, et cetera. But there are only so many minutes you can do if you're doing your standard 4-4-2. And there's a lot of money in a lot of those guys. Yeah. They've got to find ways to keep all of those players on, on the field as much as they can and, and, and get them minutes. And I hope it's not because of injuries because that, that was, that sucked this year. So. Oh yeah. Black, <laughs> I thought you were about to say that we need to transition some of those guys to forward. And I was like, mm, I don't know if that's realistic. Um, but yeah. We got to transition somebody to forward, whether right? they're on the roster well, right this now. This is or not. where I think I'd <laughs> like to see the, the biggest cash splash, right? Like this is where we really need an impact player to come in. Um, and obviously, you know, we talked about those holes in the defense that we'd like to see get filled, but I mean, I, I don't think anybody wants to watch another season of us just kind of like relying on the defense and hoping that opportunities just happen. And we luckily make the most of them, right? Like I fine if we ship another 41 goals, as long as we score 41 goals too, right? Like, obviously that's not the ideal. We want to see that goals against drop significantly, but we also need to see goals for rise significantly. And I obviously, you know, we had a lot of injuries and goals for would have been a lot higher had those not happened. But I also just think it probably still wouldn't have been high enough. We have not had an out and out, like forward goal sniffing, instinctual forward for a while at DC and I'd love to see us get that. Yeah. You know, shipping 41 goals in a year is what 1.8 goals a game, almost two goals a game. When DC scored two or more goals, they usually got some kind of result this year when they didn't, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. And we, we scored what 23, 26 goals in the year. That's, that's just not enough. And, you know, uh, so I don't necessarily want to see those even out of, I'd love to be a team that's, putting up dozens and dozens over it but i i, I get i get your point where you're going well, from there and we haven't had an out and out scorer when your golden boot has four on the year and most of those from pks yeah and also like when you're scoring more goals you naturally i mean obviously it doesn't always work out like this but like you probably have more possession of the ball and you're probably moving the ball up the field a little more right like this season we fired our coach because he wanted our team to just sit in the defense and absorb the pressure and then push it forward. So inherently we switched over to not just absorbing the pressure and moving the ball up the field a little more. And what we saw was a lack of ability to finish those chances that we had created. So I think that if we sign a really strong forward, who's able to kind of like have more of the ball and take more opportunities um, and someone we can really kind of like, get the ball out to and rely to to help the team absorb some of the pressure, then those goals against inherently go down. Yeah, for me, uh, Sorg is an easy keep. Uh, I, I'm a little surprised by Rivas, uh, especially if he was cheap. Uh, he came on and was pretty impactful. For me, dream scenario is that we leave Ola Kamara unprotected and Austin bite. Um, that would remove him from our salary hit, would free up the, our top striker position, and kind of have a clean slate there, uh, which, you know, a coach and a GM could really work with. Uh, we got to see if Austin, will, I, I, if Austin will go for that. I, I don't even think it's a bad move for them. He had one bad year for us, and he's proven MLS goal scorer. We've been on that soapbox before. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to see a new number nine for DCU. Yeah. I think the tough part, I, that is brilliant. I hadn't thought of that, Joshua. But, <laughs> you know, the tough part about that is if you leave him unprotected and they don't take him, somebody's got to 
somebody's got to walk my man off the ledge there. Like he's going to be, you know, not happy. And, and you got to turn that uh, into a positive. And, man, and maybe that's what, that's the new coach's job, right? Because there's no new coach to participate yet in, maybe you know, protecting players or not. I think so. you show him his two goals from run of play this year and be like, well, that's why. Sir. <laughs> well, maybe that's the master plan. You leave him unprotected. You wait, Austin doesn't bite, and then you don't announce the coach until Friday so the new coach can come in and be like, I wasn't a part of that decision. I totally would have protected you. Let's work on getting yeah. you to finish more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and and I look, I, I don't think Ola I, – I think Ola could have a bounce-back year. Uh, it's completely possible, but, yeah, I, it, would be, it would be a lot of fun to reset there. I think for him to have a bounce-back year, he at least needs to have some competition, so maybe we're not out there signing – you know, like another DP and four, but we at least need to sign someone who's really solid and also a somewhat proven goal scorer in MLS because we need that competition. Because right now, like, we saw what happened when no one was motivated Ooh. to score. You know, proven goal scorer who just got his option declined in MLS, Kai Kamara, to the Dose Kamaras, it could be in DC. Wow. <laughs> no more Kamaras. <laughs> no, no more Kamaras. I, I was just looking real quick here because you got me thinking. Austin actually currently have three forwards on their roster now. Um, so they went out, they signed uh, Cecilio Dominguez as a designated player. Uh, they signed Rodney Redes, and then they just today acquired John Gallagher from Atlanta uh, as well. So they, they, they are a little crowded in that, in that area. So, but I, Still give a shot. I mean, still, maybe oh. you don't protect him, and then another player, another team bites, right? They're like, oh, well, you clearly don't want him. Let's trade for him. Or there's your excuse for why you left him unprotected. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. True. If they have that deal going, then, you know, they can just say, oh, yeah, we knew you were going to take him because we knew you weren't going to take anybody. Like, I'm not as worried about the protect list on a team that finished, what? that's what i'm saying right that's exactly Um, what i'm saying i think there are other there will be a lot more unprotected players who i think will entice atlanta before dc united's uh yeah austin and i think you know going in to the offseason it it, will talk more on this you know as we start doing future shows talking about what the rosters look like what moves you know coaches etc um Frankly, you know, Kamara is the kind of player that you would be looking to bring in to replace Kamara. Um, you know, he's a guy who's relatively affordable. You know, I would love to see the team, you know, splash major cash and you get a top flight striker. But if they're going to move him just to replace him with somebody of a similar profile, I would be hard pressed to say why it wasn't going to turn out the same. Um, yeah. And given the limitations that we've heard and reported from other sources, particularly Goff, um, talking about how finances are not in the team's strong point right now. So I, I don't want to move him just for the sake of putting a different person in that slot with the same profile, but you know, it's going to have to see where, where things go. And he's under contract for a couple of years too, so it, it may yeah. be, and I've been critical of him this year, but it may be that we need to really have for a resurgence from him. I think we're I think regardless we need to sign another forward though because I never want to see DC United play with one forward up top again um not for a very long time at least until we get an actual player who can do that right you can't just ask any forward to play one up top so I think regardless we need to sign someone else I got a guy on my Premier League team who's pretty good playing one up top yeah Yeah, you think you can convince him to come over to DC (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping we could we could bring in uh Yordi's 
long lost cousin Geo to come play for us, but that that feels like we could also bring on Chris Wando. Just saying, we'll go back to the '80s with uh, one of the teams being a you know United States national team playing in the domestic league. And, yeah, give it a shot. Watching, they can play it out of field. Yeah, <laughs> I'll show up every week. Trencher. Yeah, I. You know, to me, Rivas is one that if we could get him to come back on a cheap, I wouldn't hate it. You know, it, it seemed the option was declined. I think they're still talking to him a little bit. If finances are are are, are tough, he's another guy who could come in and, and maybe compete for minutes and and you know, in in many ways, hopefully not see them because there's, there's other players that are better. But I I don't I don't know that he's a guy we definitely have to get rid of, um, especially if we're not definitely going to sign a couple other strikers who are going to very clearly be head and shoulders above him on the depth chart so just just a thought there. i don't know that i'm going to fall on my sword to save him um but yeah i wouldn't hate seeing kamara go um and i'd, I'd like to keep um like to keep sorgo all right that's so, the lineup <laughs> one of the things about you know this conversation talking about you know who we have locked up for future years and who we you know have moved on from there were only a couple of guys that we said, yeah, time to move on. We've either traded them away or declined options or what have you. The team is going to look very similar to the team that we had this year based on current contract situations. Of course, all that's subject to the strangeness of MLS off-seasons. Hopefully they're just healthier. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll certainly talk more in future shows about what that means for next year. But you know, for a team that finished 12th, we're only talking about getting rid of a couple of periphery guys. The, the core is going to be very similar. I think we're going to really have to count on a coaching hire to show us what we can get out of the squad moving forward. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I think that throughout the season, we were a little bit baffled by that. You know, we were like, on, I mean, injuries aside, you know, a little bit before all the injuries hit, we were like, this team is so good on paper, right? We, we just talked about going into the season. We were so excited because this team is so good on paper. And I think we just talked for what 45 minutes and basically came to the same conclusion that a lot of these players are really good and we'd love to see what they do um black like you said though it's gonna d depend upon the coach um which is potentially a good good transition into that conversation i think it just to put a kind of put a bow on that segment i totally agree and, and in a lot of ways i'm going to tell you the team needs to go out and sign the same positions i probably would have told you if we were doing the show you know last holiday season right yeah. is i need i need more defenders particularly outside backs now, but we talked about it. I'd like another, I'd like another center back and we need strikers, you know? And, and I think that's where the gaps were last season too. Um, and yeah, obviously people are going to have to be a heck of a lot more healthy this season. If, <laughs> if we, you know, want to, want to have a shot, but um, yeah, that, that's where, that's where the money's going to come in this season for DC United. All right. Shall we move on? <clears throat> Yeah, we want to talk about coaching. We're we're going on a marathon episode here, so I think maybe we can hit you know kind of briefly on just where we're at in the in the coaching movie, and then hopefully next weekend we'll have uh, a final answer on who DC United's head coach is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, because well, we came in you know the season with a guy who'd been on on the team for ten years and you know, played before that. You know, at this point, we're following all the same reporters that are all the same reporting that our listeners are. We don't have any exclusive inside information on how things are going. It sounds like the team's looking at a number of uh, either 
MLS assistants who've been successful, you know, there's been some other names floated out there from abroad or from former MLS player, former DC United players, you know, even a former U.S. women's national team coach, you know, a lot of different options out there. Anybody who stands out to y'all as somebody that we really want to see on the sideline next season? Well, before we, we get in, just to kind of wrap it, if, you know, people haven't been following um, as closely. First of all, I'd recommend you go follow um, Goff. He's amazing and basically where all this information came from. Um, Pablo Mara is also, you know, he's he's pretty on it. Um, they retweet each other a little bit. So those are two pretty good follows. Um, but essentially, it looks like there are four top candidates right now. Um, the two kind of outside of MLS are Jill Ellis. Obviously, she was coach of the um, U.S. Women's National Team for quite a while. She's never coached a men's or women's club team before. Um, so there are s- some questions. Obviously, coaching nationally and coaching at the club level are very different. Um, and then there's al- also Rudolfo Burrell, who is the assistant for uh, Man City. He's been in that role for four years. Um, so those are kind of the external candidates if you will um but you know rumors are saying that dc united is really hoping to hire somebody within mls um and those two top contenders right now are obviously chris armis um it really looked like that deal was going to get done for a little while it looks like they were like ready to sign the paperwork um and then you know reports came out that talks kind of fell apart um it looks like he's not completely out of the running but the other person they're everyone talking, on twitter said this was a bad idea right yeah i mean <laughs> which we can yeah i don't know we've been talking for a while i don't know if we want to get in um, in depth on that, but the other, the last person, um, is Gonzalo Pineda, Pineda, excuse me, um, who is the Sounders assistant coach. He's been with them for, um, four years. And just to start the conversation, y'all, I really think that he's the top candidate mostly because that's why this process is going so long, right? Obviously Seattle was in the MLS cup playoffs that, um, took place last night. They lost it, but I think that that held up a lot of the interview process. Obviously, he was getting ready for an MLS Cup final. Um, so I think that DC United is really looking at him and they're really wanting to talk to him and see if they make something happen. And all these other people are kind of on the back burner. Um, an honorable mention is uh, Endra- Ezra Hendrickson, who's the Columbus Crew assistant coach. Um, and he was told that he was out of the running. But I think Goff said that, you know, there are some people who are saying maybe we're going to take a second look at him. I also wouldn't be mad if he came in. Um, he, he has a, a number of uh, MLS Cups, both as a player and as, as an assistant coach. So I think that he'd be a good shout. Um, but, yeah, I, I really think we're going to end up with Pineda if talks go well, obviously. But I think that that's like the number one for D.C. United right now. That's a great run out, Sam. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think, look, in my book, I'm glad we talked to Jill Ellis. I, I think Jill Ellis absolutely deserves an MLS, if not better job, if she wants one at some point. I don't think she wants it right now, and I don't yeah. think this United would have been a good fit. There are talks about that they talked to her. Yeah, there are talks about her going to another national team, to another women's national yeah. team, ahead of their um, World Cup in 2023, I think. So I Look, let's be honest, man. Getting a national team gig is like – that's the job you don't play that many <laughs> games like you know most of the year you're not even under pressure because there's no games then <laughs> you go to a tournament and like it could end but yeah, not if, if you're you got players. a player a problem you just call in somebody else <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, a, what a dream right um to me i think i i really hope conversations go well with pineda um, yeah um i think you know seattle has a a, a culture and and a and a franchise that they've just it, it's 
it, it's the model and this guy's yeah. been there for four years um i think you know i said back when when the team originally um fired nolson that you know getting a guy with um Hispanic roots would, would be huge, you know, to connect with players, to connect with recruiting. Um, I, I think that that's that's just another check in in the box for him. But he, you know, I, I like the idea of getting somebody who doesn't have head coaching experience. You know, I think one that's going to help a little bit on the on the financial side for this team, which is a reality. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to bring in you know some of the best head coaches in the world because we're not going to be able to afford them, and then we just got to kind of own that. But given a guy like this. Uh, run I think is I'm, I'm excited to hear how the conversations go to me Chris Armas just what Chris Armas could get could still get hired by DC United and it could still go well right like I, I we don't know um, and and I think for for you know there's there's many Red Bulls fans who said good things about him you know that he wasn't like a total abomination <laughs> But it just feels a little bit like more of the same. Yeah. Like for you know, you had a guy like Olsen for so long. Um, it was it was obviously not an easy decision to get rid of him. I think you got to do something different, and and whether that's you know bringing in a, an assistant who's who's been you know with with successful teams for a long time and seeing if they can take the reins, or even you know I would I still would have liked to have seen them bring in an international guy, uh, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Uh, but that that that's kind of where I stand. I'll take one random shot, kind of speak something into existence. Uh, Lucien Favre, and if I Americanized that, I'm so sorry. But uh, he was the coach of Borussia Dortmund, uh, recently fired. Yeah, and John, you're right. If you're not going to get this this international, well-renowned coach, you go for an assistant up and coming. But uh, I was looking at Ben's career, and, and one of the side notes was that when Ben was an interim, DC United interviewed Lucien Favre uh, while he was the Hertha coach. So there is history there recently fired like thing after this like top four list uh, it would be uh, maybe something to hope for maybe that maybe we get Giorena. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there's your Giorena time uh, but yeah Pulisic, not long after uh, i i agree with, with with everything you said yeah i think the from what we've heard the team is wanting to go in the direction of a guy who knows mls which frankly makes sense considering the kind of team that DC United, you know, tries to be, they're not going to be making millions and millions on, in transfer fees. You know, it's just not in the cards for where they are right now. So having a guy who knows the league, knows how to handle what's going on, you know, it probably makes sense. Yeah. For me, that guy is not Chris Armas. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's the guy who took over after Jesse March left, ran the team not into the ground, but uh, you know, had a losing record every year and a half with a team that won Sporter Shield. Uh, that, that, that's not a great look. Um, I think either of the assistants that we're hearing about right now, either Pineda or Ezra Henderson, uh, you know, could be what we need. Uh, I think I would give the nod to Pineda right now just based on what the Sanders have done. And let's not forget that Schmetzer isn't re-signed with Seattle yet. I think we all expect that deal to get done, but you know, who knows if the MLS Cup lost last night, you know, leaves a sour taste in their mouths when they start trying to negotiate. I, I would fully expect if he's back with Seattle moving forward, with the number of MLS Cups he's made in recent years. But, you know, if he's available, you should absolutely give him a call. And, you know, same thing with Greg Vanny up in Toronto. I think that's, we're expecting that to be a, a move to Los Angeles. But, you know, 
if they're out there, you know, let's, you know, let's shoot big. And and I'll get back to what I've been saying all along. It's I want them to talk to people and get a solid idea of how they want to play and build a club around that kind of identity instead of having to say, let's just hope we don't concede goals and maybe results will follow. Yeah, completely agree. That'd be funny if Vanny and Olsen just kind of like traded teams. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the thing, um, just to kind of wrap up the thing that I like too about the fact that we're talking to, um, you know, two assistant coaches from Seattle and the crew, um, maybe Seattle a little less so, but like these are not teams that like, you know, when you think of teams who go and try to sign those like flashy DPs and spend a whole lot of money, you think about like the two teams in LA and like, you know, Toronto spends a lot of money on Michael Bradley, um, and Josie Altador. So, you know, Seattle does spend a lot of money, but they also kind of rely on like their homegrown. They have like such a family feel to that team. Um, Columbus too. They're not one of the teams that you think about like spending buckets and buckets of money to bring in like a, a really big name and just have that fix the situation. And I doubt that DC United's going in that direction. So the fact that we're bringing in coaches who will be able to kind of weave into the fabric of what DC the DC United identity is, but really move that into what MLS is becoming, I think is, is really promising. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, and it should be over the next, hopefully week or so a decision is, is officially made. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say it seems like they've left very few stones unturned as part of this process. It sounds like there were a lot of names on the list. We obviously don't have insight into everything, but God, I hope they made some of those calls, right? Like obviously Favre is late in the game now, but you know, did they call a Pochettino and, and at least like <laughs> leave a voicemail or, or a banger and say like, Hey man, you want to give a shot over here? You know, even if they're told to go pound sand, right? Like at least try, you know? And, and um, so I'm hopeful that this works out. Yeah. And hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll get it soon. We've been hearing they want to get it done by the end of the month too. Um, so. Yeah. Well guys, this was a mega episode. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're rolling strong in, in hour number three here. Uh, so I think we should probably call it a wrap and, yeah. and we'll try to squeeze in another episode before the holiday. We can talk about men's national team. We can hopefully talk about a finalized head coach and a lot of other goings on, uh, you know, around the league. And certainly we've got a, we've got an expansion draft in, in just a couple of days. We thoughts. Yeah. Just one thing before you wrap. Um, I want to shout out um, that MLS gave what the humanitarian award of the year um, to the black it's black players coalition. Um, so just shouts to them and all they've done. Um, obviously, Bill Hamid um, and Earl Edwards Jr. were, were huge parts in that. So it was Mincy, uh, Quincy Ameriqua, um, obviously not still with D.C. United, but formerly with D.C. United. Um, so that's just a, a great shout um, that the, the work that they put into that um, is being recognized. And I don't think this is the last that we're hearing about the organization, right? It's really great that MLS is recognizing them. And hopefully that means that for many years to come, they're going to be working pretty closely together. Um, and we're going to see some real change happen. Yeah. A lot of members on, on DC United squad for the, the and, and they rebranded like most MLS names. Uh, they're black players for change. Uh, but they're doing a lot okay, of good sorry. work. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sorry. They rebranded a couple times. They did. Okay. I'm glad you said that, right? Because I, at one point I was, I was like I know it's the Black Players Coalition, and then like at one point it was just Black Players for Change. I was like, did I miss the okay. rebrand? I think because they keep they, they're sticking with BPC, right? So like every yeah, yeah, time yeah. they change, I don't think it's like sticking in my brain. So my apologies for getting that wrong, but um, still good work that they're doing, and I'm sure we'll see from them in the future. For sure, we'll shout our friends at Across the Pond. Um, definitely, we appreciate the support they've given us this year. 
and you know to all of our listeners if you if you've got the means whether you're um, willing to do takeout or, or, or go check out if it's another beautiful weekend like it was today and maybe some of their outside dining um, they're still they're still going strong but they need your support uh, so they've got some really cool specials going on right now uh, almost like groupon-esque deals i get their emails now <laughs> or you know they're saying stuff like you know you can buy like a dinner package and use yeah. it you know kind of in the future and things like that so please check them out um they're they're good people good good uh, friends of the show and, and we and good food we love, yeah definitely good, good food <laughs> um and the last thing on a, on a much more personal note um on behalf of sam joshua and i um we, want to say congratulations to michael on his engagement uh so congratulations uh michael Yay. and we're so happy for you <laughs> thank you we're very happy and look forward to celebrating at many more dc night games <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so <laughs> so for all of us here at tried and true thanks for bearing with us with some some issues last weekend um and, and join us for a mega episode this week but we'll chat with you really soon right here on tried and true the dc united post game podcast presented by heineken 